0: WTF <laughs> It's so good <laughs> It's like a text message but on a postcard in the nineteen twenties like <laughs>
1: Welcome back to
2: Jen Oh Word up Of The Witnesses A podcast Dedicated to the 1980s (laughs) Funk band cameo (laughs) Wave your hands in the air Like you don't care (laughs) No Tell your brother And your sister And your mama too
1: (laughs) In all fairness This is kind of a
2: throwback episode (laughs) Okay, so it just got was s- weird. <laughs> I told you guys I had a new gimmick. It's word up. Ow,
1: Ow. Word up. Of the witnesses. All right. Well, this is word of the witnesses. <laughs> Our Twelve Monkeys rewatch podcast. As a reminder, this is a rewatch podcast. That means if you haven't seen the entire series, you absolutely should push stop right now. Go finish it. Watch the best series finale of all time. Come back. Listen. Respond, play, all that stuff.
2: I love how you guys actively discourage people from listening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do not listen to this podcast. No, but like seriously, even though we're rewatch podcasts, I've gotten questions in the last couple of weeks being like, I'm on season three, should I listen? And I'm like, no! No! <laughs> Don't you dare <laughs> yeah.
1: we spoil everything. So this is Beep. I am joined as always by the lovely Cece. Hey guys. And back there somewhere is Jen and also probably Emmett.
2: Yeah, yeah, Emmett's Emmett's here. He's sleeping right now, but he will probably be active and vocal later on. So sorry in
0: advance, everybody. Do you want to explain, do you want to explain that he's a dog, just for first-time
2: listeners? Oh, yes.
1: Okay. Yes. He spoiled it way back somewhere else. Get your
2: shit together. Otherwise, that sounded like. So, so Emmett is, Emmett's my little, well, one of my little French bulldogs, and he is the official podcast mascot, um, and he likes to snore and snort into the mic, so, and he likes to (laughs) bark at people, and, well, he likes to bark at anything outside, so the world kind of sets him
0: off. Actually, you know what? Now I regret that I asked you to clarify that he's a dog, because if at some point we just had that heavy breathing, that would have been kind of awesome.
1: (laughs) Just delete
2: that part. Come
1: on, just let let the mystery be. (laughs) And if it comes back and we tie up that thread, then great. (laughs) Yay! Our interview with Allison Down and Terry Metallis is coming up. We just need your questions, your Olivia questions by June 19th. Get those in. We will ask as many as we are able to. We're so excited to talk to Allison. uh, And of course, always Terry. But we have not heard a lot about Olivia, you know, in and of herself. So I'm stoked for that. And we're... I'm really, really wanting to get her like record her saying something specific, and I just have to think of what it is.
0: Um, <laughs> I think
2: I think it's pretty clear, I, 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 t- especially I considering consider how it. Jen fucked up
0: <laughs> the beginning of it. What we need her to say?
2: <laughs> you mean the you mean the word? <laughs> I can't do it now. We really word up. I have that though. Ow. I need
1: something. I don't know. I need something to go to sleep to. Isn't that the like the deal with Todd?
0: Oh, I think we need her to just do the mantra. Mm, the right? Mantra. How creepy would it be if people press play on this podcast in their cars, and it just has you're walking through a red forest? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. yes.
2: <laughs> can can I get that me. as my? Ooh, I want that as my ringtone. If you guys get her to say that, just send it to me as an MP3, so I can use it as my ringtone. <laughs> Um, I ha- I do have a question that you can that you can ask her when you guys talk to her and congratulations on getting that one. I want I want to know if at the end of this specific episode when Ramsey pulls the bag off her head and she has that stupid sexy tousled hair look, if that was meant to invoke feelings in everybody in the audience because <laughs> I have very complex feelings now about Olivia after seeing that. I'm like, whoa, whoa, put the brakes on there. Sweetie, no, what's with that hair? Because uh. you like
0: it, just to clarify, because you <laughs> yes. like
2: it a lot, Jen. Mm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, our podcast, maybe the episodes might be a little bit more spaced out over the next couple months. Uh, summer's coming up for Cece's kiddos. I started a new job in back in the corporate world. So for especially July and August, we might have some... Uh, scheduling shifts so you guys just be aware of that we're not going anywhere we still have several episodes to go
0: yeah we'll be back full force in the fall but it's a uh, it's mom high season in the summertime <laughs> <laughs> Got lots of billable hours in the summertime as a mom. (laughs) The
1: benefits might be great, but the pay is shit. Just
0: I get paid in hugs, beep. I get paid in hugs. Those are benefits. (laughs) It's not pay. Those are not pay. (laughs) All right. Are you guys ready for J.H. Bond and what Jen always says is sexy bowler hats and sexy splinter suits? (laughs) I wanted you to come back for this episode because I think the first one that you did with us, you were like, they're so sexy. Like, that was her. <laughs> of her gauntlet, like her yeah. favorite
2: things in the show. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you can't deny. I mean, when you see like the four guardians in their bowler hats with just like the splinter suits lit up and they're everyone's dark and they're carrying some mysterious ass shit, you're like, dude. Now that's a visual right there. It's
0: just fucking (laughs) cool. It's just so cool.
2: (laughs) I I want, I want, when I die, I want to be buried in a splinter suit and then I want, I want my body to be put on a boat and then pushed out into the lake and have Edmir tully like try to set a flame with one of his arrows wow, wow. wait you what? know we're we're mixing up so many shows <laughs> I mean, you guys are just gonna make sure that that happens that would be great like vikings game of, Thrones.
0: <laughs> game of Thrones but no i mean um,
1: i mean it fits though right We're just well i think but it's
0: got to be no it's got to be somebody else other than Ed telling because didn't he miss like twice yes that's <laughs> why i want him
1: <laughs> I, I, I want i just want abject failure a lot of like pomp and circumstance <laughs> like, i want I want, I want i want a little bit
2: a little bit something funny at my uh at my uh lighting on fire ceremony Um, But if one of those splinter suits had been available in that auction uh, last year, I I would have I would parted ways with a lot of money for one of those.
0: Um, So I got to see one up close. Oh, look at you! I I know. (laughs) My husband and I were lucky enough to get to see a lot of the Twelve Monkeys props because Terry Metalis was a very generous host when we happened to be in town in Los Angeles, and. The splinters – I got to see a splinter suit up close, and I just want to share it with everyone because, you know, obviously they look amazing, and you really focus on, like, the lights, right, and, like, how dramatic they are, but up close, there's, like, like hundreds of little parts and wires and, like, knobs and all kinds of – I mean, it's just really, really intricate, Uh and I think they made them all by hand. Uh And it's like, really, like, I feel like I don't know if we ever get that close a look at them. And they look kind of sleek. But like, in person, they're just like an unbelievable, it's an unbelievable prop slash costuming feat. Like, you wouldn't believe the detail on these things.
2: Cece, did you touch it?
0: no I, I i uh no i think i was afraid uh, to oh <laughs> no i was afraid <laughs> no, that's, too.
2: A, that's a really that that's cool knowledge to drop on us because i think uh i think people are interested in hearing some of the the behind the scenes stuff and and you had that the uh, unique opportunity to go out there and, and see some of the props maybe we can get him to take some close-up pictures oh that'd be fun yeah or to let us touch it. We
1: want to sit in the uh, splinter chair so badly, and she's like, "I'm gonna break it. Oh, God. Okay.
0: Um, well, no, so yeah, so yeah, we should ask maybe for a close-up picture. They are remarkable. Like it is not just a suit with like a couple light bulbs and circles. It is up close, all kinds of gears and little wires, and it's amazing. Like it looks like something that would that actually like works. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, like it looks like a piece of machinery. So oh, it's really, so cool. really, really, really cool up close. Um okay. Hence my love is justified. Yeah. yeah. We are discussing 302 today. Jen, just just get it out of your system.
2: It's just splinter. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That is literally one of the best lines of the entire show.
2: Fight me. Like, <laughs> oh, it, oh, it is. <laughs> I mean, it, I, it cracked me up so much when you watched it yesterday.
0: Oh, my God. There's no question that's going to be the name of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it is it's our friend alicia our alice in wonderland expert who's been on a bunch it is like her favorite moment in the series so like beef just made the gift just for her (laughs) i think it like i think she's canadian so i think it spoke to her like but right like it was just yes all right so 303 is entitled guardians it's written by sean tretta directed by david grossman um, Before we jump in, sort of scene by scene, I want to just talk about some big picture themes or things to keep in mind as we go through the episode. Um, The first is the meaning of the word guardians. And it's interesting because I think depending on the context, like, do you always think of a guardian as a positive thing? No. Well, generally, yeah,
2: but... But not so much now that you mention it because in the context of this, this episode. Right.
0: So, like, when you look up in the, I forget which dictionary, it says defender, protector, keeper. It's that last word that gives me a little bit of pause, right? So, in this episode, whether it's sort of the A story in France or the B story with Olivia and Ramsay, we've got a lot of different guardians of children who have been lost to time so we've got the four guardians the two that we get to know a little bit better of the four magdalena and sebastian i think even between magdalena and sebastian they come to view their roles as guardians very differently
2: well sebastian is sebastian the one that gets killed first
0: um you mean in this episode is he one of the guard, one of the four? So, okay, so we are seeing, so the four guardians, you have the gentleman who's killed on stage, okay. the, the woman who's killed in the hallway. Uh-huh. I think both of them eventually die in, is it nurture or nature, where they all have that big blow up at the house um, one of the churs, yeah, yeah. yeah. When Col- when, when, one of the churs when Cole goes, when Cole and Cassie finally go rogue. I think they both get killed at the house. Mm-hmm. The other, the gentleman who is kind of like the younger handsome guy, um, he is played by Rupert Graves, and that, in- that is a British name. If ever I heard, that of is one. a fantastic Rupert Graves. I, <laughs> I think it's Rupert Graves, right? It is now. <laughs> 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 Rupert Graves. <laughs> um, I love that. <laughs> wait, do you guys not know him? So he's eventually he's the one that they find in um, Victorian London, and he's he's the one that eventually steals Ethan away and and shields him from everybody. So Army of the Twelve Monkeys and from Cassie and Cole.
1: Yeah, he's two pence for a popper, right? Yes, mm-hmm. right, and um. Uh. He's Ethan's real guardian that ends up dying
2: in the masks episode. So he's not in this episode. He, no, the he younger is, version he's, he's is young right now. He's young. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. So the younger version of him is is in this. He's the young man. Um, he's the youngest. I think of the youngest male guardian. Um, he's eventually going to go rogue away from everyone and, and shelter Ethan and educate him sort of onto his own course and eventually like help Cassie and Cole find him, which is very different than the role of Magdalena. So like eventually there's even going to be friction between these guardians about, he doesn't want to show her certain drawings that are coming out of Ethan's like, um, primary drawings. And so, and I think it's interesting, right? Like how Magdalena views her role as a guardian, as sort of like on behalf of, of this organization and steering Ethan towards what she wants him to become. And I think Sebastian eventually, um, you know, really, it's I think it's clear that he loves Ethan, right? Like he's a second father to him. So I think it's interesting even thinking about like defender, protector, keeper. I think Magdalena and Sebastian kind of fill different meanings of of guardians. Um, also, you,
1: you said, though, you asked at the beginning, is the guardian always positive? You know, mm-hmm. and there was kind of this, oh, well, maybe not. I think that it can be positive or negative depending on what they're guarding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think, like, in Magdalena's case, she's not guarding Ethan per se, not so much as she's guarding his timeline. Whereas I feel like Sebastian comes to actually, guard. you know, guard the child himself.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, she's she's guarding who he's going to become. Right. Um, and she's she's one of those she's one of those like zealots basically the, the super faithful that will do anything cuz we see her uh we see her up until this point die at least twice um a future self of her mm-hmm. sacrifices themselves to go back and warn... A past self.
0: Yeah, I feel like she's she does super that a lot.
2: She's super extra,
0: you guys. <laughs> like super extra. hmm Um, but then the other, you know, the other in the sort of one of the B stories is what really struck me this time watching these Olivia Ramsey Sam scenes is Olivia raised Sam was his guardian for like 20 years. But we never saw that, though. We never saw that, but when Sam talks about Olivia, it it just... I almost found him more talking of her more warmly than like her actual daughter Emma would have in season four.
2: Oh, no, completely agree. You know,
0: so I think, I mean, and, and Olivia is in a very different point in her life, right? Playing either when, when she's a guardian to Sam versus when she's a mother to Emma, right? Like, so that makes sense, but I was struck by how all of these guardians are Raising children who they are keeping from their birth parents. Yeah. So you have all of these children, like we talked on the last podcast. This whole show is all these children lost to time, right? Hannah, Cole, Ethan, right? Like Sam. But all of the guardians that I think this episode refers to, it's kind of shining a spotlight on all of these people that are, yes, they are guarding ch- children. Yes, they are protecting children. In some cases, they love them. In other cases, they're guiding them. But in all cases, they are keeping them from their parents.
1: Yeah. Yeah, kidnapping is big business on this show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep. I don't um, disagree. And I think it's interesting. I think that there's some – I think in some ways, Cassie and Ramsey sort of mirror one another. And I hadn't really thought a lot about that in in particular. I thought a lot about them mirroring one another in season two, um, like in 2B, when they were both sort of like out for revenge. But in this episode, they are both, we both watch them lose children, lose sons. And either it's in Sam in this episode, or eventually it's going to be Ethan. They're both going to lose those sons to the witness, either directly or Or indirectly by the end. Um, And there's a lot of, I mean, you've got Cole doesn't even realize he's a father. He's in this room with this baby crying and then the baby's gone. Like, right? Like, he doesn't even realize that he's going to spend, that that's his son. He's going to spend the rest of the season trying to find him. But there's something about watching Ramsey and Sam and this decision that Ramsey has to face. Would you kill your son? if it was for a good reason. So either for him, it's because your son is suffering or for Cassie and Cole, it's to save the world. But Mm. it's like foreshadowing this like horrible choice that Cassie and Cole are going to be grappling with all season.
2: Well, it also kind of mirrors the choice, the the dichotomy of choices that, that Ramsey and Cole slash Cassie have always been facing is that Ramsey's has become a very personal individual goal for him. It's one person. Um, and then for Cassie and Cole, again, it's back to the one versus seven billion thing again. Um, and this time, they're sacrificing their own flesh and blood.
0: Yeah, but but then they're going to decide not to. Right? I know. So that's yeah. the thing is like
2: um, like they they often lambast Ramsey, and I can't believe I'm coming in his defense. Yes, um, <laughs> they, they lambast him for making that that very personal individual. Mm-hmm. A, a quote unquote selfish choice, and then lo and behold, once they have some skin in the game themselves, that perspective, you know, the the perspective and the and the experience that Ramsey's been living is now something that Cole and Cassie quickly catch up with. A- and the thing is that they haven't even been exposed to Ethan as he's been growing up. They have like one interaction with him, mm-hmm. um, or you know, just it's. Th- like they don't even experience who he is as a person and they still fight for him and they're still willing to sacrifice everything they they fought for for their son. So I think it's 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 kind of interesting how you know your life your life situation changes and it shifts your perspective in a very very dramatic and and sometimes ways you would never expect to happen.
0: Absolutely. In fact, you were on for that pod in resurrection when Ramsey said to Cole you don't understand. Like, you've never been a father. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know? And now we're going to watch Cassie and Cole go on that journey. So, yeah, Beep, was Yeah, The, beef, interesting, was there thing, well, yeah, the interesting
1: thing is when you see – Ramsey here, like you're talking about mirroring and like the journey they're going to go on. The other thing that the interaction with Sam brings up specifically is more toward the choice that's made in the finale. Because what happens when the one that you're putting up against the seven billion doesn't want you to do that?
0: That's true. Right. Sam is saying, I don't want you to do this. Right. Right, I, you know this
1: is not this is not what I want. So then, what happens when there's like another element of like, oh look at me, I'm being so selfless. I'm going to do it for this person, and they're like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> don't bring me
0: into this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um- I think also this is one of those, we talked a little bit on the last podcast, we were using sort of Ethan's words of seeing the puzzle from above. So, you know, again, we're now in the stretch of episodes that were all written in one big block, seasons three and season four. So there's a couple either pieces that you won't understand fully what's going on in this episode until you see other ones. Um, so for example, with Ramsey and Olivia, um after Sam dies and Ramsey goes out and kind of like throws Olivia to the ground, you're not going to see the important piece of that's missing from that conversation before he gets to Project Splinter until the end of the next episode. So, if you want to see what happened in between, you go to the end of Enemy. Um also that piece of paper that Olivia finds on um the campsite on the post with the knife, that is the coordinates <coughs> the coordinates to Titan. And you don't see that until the finale of this season in witness. Um, and also we'll get into it, but there's just so many different clues, whether it is Cassie walking around the museum or the pictures that Jennifer's drawing. There's just some amazing clues throughout this episode that now when you watch it, you're like, Oh my God, that's whatever from masks or that's whatever from witness. Um, Again, this is, we talked a little bit last time, this is the show, I think, particularly this episode, really leaning into the humor that Jennifer Goines can bring to this show um, with the amazing plays and everything that happens in Paris. Um before we get to enjoy ourselves, though, <laughs> we're going to structure today's podcast. We are going to deal with sort of the two B-plots first, um, Ramsey with Olivia finding Sam and Cassie a Titan with Malik and getting her one glimpse at baby Ethan. Um, And this episode is like abject parental grief. Like, I physically feel some of these scenes in my gut. Um... And what I think is interesting, particularly, and I was wondering on y'all's thoughts about this, because I know that, like, I'm actually, like, obviously I'm coming at this as a parent. Um, and so when when you're watching as a parent, it's hard not to put yourself in the shoes of a character, right, and think, what if that was my baby or what if that was my son? But I think, for example, that scene with Ramsey and Sam, it's one of the hardest scenes I've personally had to watch on TV, And yet I didn't have to leave the room the way I often had to leave the room, say, on Game of Thrones with Ramsay Snow. And I was wondering if you guys had sort of the same reaction or if there's something about, you know, this show explores some really, 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 really hard things. But I guess I never feel like it's like gratuitous, if that makes sense.
2: No, that makes perfect sense. It's not, it's not... It's not torture or grief porn for the sake of generating drama or conflict. And a lot of shows hit the easy button and go, okay, well, I need conflict. So let's just dial up the misery porn. um, And and that'll be considered deep, quote unquote, deep. I'm a good writer because I put misery in everything. No, Mm. no, no. Yeah, this is more like visceral heartache. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, this is something that I mean Ramsey's story. I, I think Ramsey's always been the most, maybe the most tragic of of everybody in this show. Mm-hmm. Um, in that he's, you know, I I, I realize that he's, a, you know, one of the key players in in what happens in, in the end of season four. That everybody kind of has to be reinserted back into their own timelines. I think right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's important um, for the the end of this show. His relationship to Cole is important. Um, but he's he's always one of those characters that feels like he's he's running parallel. To the main storyline, that he's always and he's always kind of scraping up against it, and there's that friction there between what he wants and what the rest of the group wants to, in order to save the world. So and he's there's kind like of no like,
1: universe in which he ever wins. You know exactly. I mean? like just, Beep, he's, he's, he's just, just so lose, thankless, lose,
2: lose all day long. Like, yeah ah. he ne- he never gets he never gets the big win. He's he is the most tragic character, and in, in that way, it's kind of like well. He's still important in the end, but time just kind of uses him. Mm. Um, It doesn't, like, I don't feel like, I don't know if anything that happens to him is consequential to making sure that he's there in the end. Like, I don't feel like he has the same type of journey as everybody else that gets him to where he needs to be. Everybody else feels their, their journeys and and jumping timelines and everything that they go through feels very deliberate in order to get them from point A to point Z but but he is just like this tragic character that never gets never gets good stuff
0: yeah, meaning that he he is sort of i mean what's interesting is we think it's a dead end right like these these are essentially until you got to the very like until you got to the two part series finale These are our Ramsey's final episodes, right? So we're seeing him at his, I mean, man, and you're right, Jen, like he is, he's had, and and that's saying a lot because there's a lot of characters that have undergone like tragic losses on this show, right? But, you know, when Sam says you and I were never meant to be like this, God, right? Like it feels so true. Um, but you're right. Like, it's kind of like he has this dead end and everything he's been trying, he's had. There's been windows where he has tried to put his personal feelings aside and work with the team or interests have been aligned, right? Or like he and Cassie agreed on the right course and they were versus Jones and Cole and they both were doing that for what they thought was the co- like, you know, the common good, but obviously Cassie and Ramsey have personal motivations as well. But like yeah. he's reaching a dead end. And I don't mean to, I don't I'm not even saying that like in a right like his son's going to die. And then, I mean, to be honest, like, the choice he makes at the end of this episode, I don't know if he would have been willing to cross that line with Cassie had his son not asked him to. But it's hard to argue with the logic of why he makes that decision at the end of this episode, even though we're not seeing it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's the same calculation that everyone's been making in this show all along. You know, kill Leland Goines and you can stop the plague. Kill Jennifer Goines, stop her from dropping the plague. All season, it's going to be kill Ethan, stop him, right? And so the, the decision he makes at the end of this episode is, it's as much as we're like, no, it's Cassie, right? Like, it's understandable. Why don't we take his storyline first? Just since we sort of jumped into the Ramsey of it all. Did you guys have any other thoughts about that before I jump in?
2: Well, I just wonder, like Ramsey, d- like it just it does it doesn't seem like there's ever a situation where Ramsey fits in or feels comfortable with anyone other than Cole. Like if you think about their whole journey up to getting, um, I guess, um, to be a part of of Jones's whole thing. Mm-hmm. um i don't know if 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 being a part is the right word other, instead of captured but mm-hmm. like when they fell in with the west seven ramsey was a, f- a friction there mm-hmm. um he's a friction with team splinter he's a friction between Cole and Cassie um it, it's just he never feels like he ever settles in with anybody and fits in and is like team player it, it's I, and I guess that's why I really don't enjoy his character very much. Because I love team players, I love team Splinter. Mm-hmm. Um, when they when people find each other again and they're excited about it, I I you know I'm very happy when that happens. That's why this episode was both painful and happy for me because it it nothing occurred the way I wanted it to, except when it actually did, and I still had questions about it. But, like, I just don't feel like he's a – he's not – he's not part of the fam.
0: He's not. Um,
2: you're right. And I – yeah. And I love found families. And when you're not a part of that family, for me, I'm just like, well, I don't have – you're just not
0: in my inner circle of characters I like. hmm But, I mean, that – I get why there's a lot of drama to explore with that, right? Because all of – I mean, at least in real life – there are people, for example, in your family that you may love, but they're a source of friction, you know, and they yeah. don't, right? And and that, um, or whether it's with friends, right? Like, so I think it's interesting that they explore that. And obviously, over the last three seasons, they get a lot of mileage out of conflict through Ramsey, right? But I guess they did reach a point where they thought in the story, they had kind of stretched that... As far as it was gonna go, if that makes sense, I don't know. I, unless no, I, unless I he unless he had something else to 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 do, do you know what I mean? And and no, that's he- also and that's also partly why it's so moving at the end when Cassie's like, we need friends and family, and Cole gets him and brings him back, and they finally put down, they lay down everything that was a source of conflict in the past and they reach for what they have in common and all work together do you know what i mean yeah
2: but i agree with your first point is that that ramsey kind of reached a natural conclusion to his journey because other because he was starting to give diminishing returns at some point where you're just like oh ramsey's on my screen again what new is he going to be giving me what different what different thing is going to interest me about him and, and it just Nothing was really clicking with me anymore w- with that guy. Um, I did I did feel for him a little bit during during the whole parental thing of, of his son um, asking for him to end it. Um, but I, I also was like, ah, his son might have been a more interesting character for me <laughs> in the two seconds I saw him mm. uh, at that point in mm-hmm. in the series. So it was a good actor. Yeah and for of, yeah. he sounded a lot like Ramsey too. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was I thought it was really well done as far as as, as just kind of creating that that visceral comparison between the two. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I was, at this point I'm just like I'm I'm done with Ramsey. Get him off my screen for a while. I need <laughs> I need to I need to start. I, I need to get to a point where I'm going to miss him in order to appreciate him coming back.
0: Right. Well, and they go right like in the next episode they're going to have them back on the rooftop, right? So they're definitely going to like set us up to make it hurt in Brothers, which to be yeah. honest is one of my favorite episodes. But sure. um, I'm more of a Ramsey fan, but. I do, you know, I agree. I think it made sense that this was sort of what we thought was the end of his story. As tragic as it is, it kind of started to feel inevitable, you know? Um, I
1: think that a lot of people, and this this comes in a lot of, like, literature or fiction, like, there are tragic tales, and then there are tragic characters. And I think that Ramsey is the latter. I would agree with
0: that. Yeah, I mean, he's got that line that really hits you when he's like, you're the only thing I'm proud of in my life. (laughs) You know, like that tells you a lot of what he thinks about his life and the things that he's done. Um, And no matter what he does, right? Like, and let's, let's, let's kick off because this is going to get into his conversation with Olivia, right? Because she's going to kind of throw this in his face because um, I could protect him when you couldn't. Um, and oh, yeah. That, oh my God, that line. I was, was like, literally lives. Right? Yeah, so, all right. So, Ramsey and Olivia, um, they have been traveling. Think about at the end of season two, all the months it took to, for, the daughters and Jennifer and everybody to get to Titan, right? Mm -hmm. Ramsey and Olivia have been now road tripping back together. So they've been together for months. Uh, Ramsey is obviously frustrated. The two of them have a ton of history going back Mm -hmm. to season one, right? Like, you know, she was the one who trained him on the art of war in the jail. They were together for decades. Um, And if you were Ramsey – you didn't know where your son was for now what's approaching probably two years. And Olivia had him for 20 years. <laughs> like, and you have to ride with this person and sit across from them at the campfire. Like, you would want to bash that person's face in, right? But it would be, like, so complicated because she also kept him safe and she's, like, throwing that in his face, right? Um, And... I, you know, and she's someone who knows all of the messengers, even in season two, when they would see Ramsey, they'd be like, your love for your son is long and storied, right? Like the traveler's love for your son. Like Olivia knows how important Sam is to Ramsey, and she's both took care of him, but she's also manipulating him, right? So, so Sam would have been, Sam traveled back to a time
2: before he was born then correct no so yes
0: yeah he traveled back to 2023 and ramsey would have been 19 years old
2: yeah this is true okay because because yeah i was a little confused with that because when when he was first when he first got shot back in time i was a little confused because i thought he got shot back
0: way further back well they never told us the date i mean this episode
2: answers that question
1: yeah, I saw him, like, in the woods, and someone took his hand, so there was, like, yeah, no, the, no indication of a time for
2: Right. I I don't know why, as soon as somebody appears in the woods in a time travel Medieval show, I'm like, oh, they ba- they back in dinosaur <laughs> times. Yep. They, yeah. Here come the raptors.
0: Yeah. Right. Um, way okay, back, so. for sure. Yeah, but, I mean, that scene that was at the end of, what was it, Meltdown, had, had question marks as the year. Mm-hmm. And then all we saw at the end of season two was that Olivia was in 2044 or whatever, like, waiting outside of Titan, right? Yeah. For Ramsey, This – they very – are like, uh Olivia found me back in 2023 when Sam tells Ramsey That's when we find out when he got splintered back to by accident. Like, it's in this episode. So, yeah, we it, didn't know. Is Olivia, like, 100 years old at this point? I was trying to think about that, actually, Um, prepping for the next episode in Enemy when they're like because she's was she like uh, she was
2: how old in what in 1957 when they when they went back to uh,
0: that was 61
2: uh, 61
0: yeah she's like she looked like she was like I don't know 9
2: yeah so she's like in her 90s or or pushing 100 at this point yeah Uh, depending
1: on how many times she went back and forth because I mean Ramsey's
0: like 80 right oh my My god they're both
1: so old (laughs) <laughs> They're so old. right because she went back and lived time over again you know so yeah if she got sam in 2023 like wasn't she already past that there could be a lot i, I what don't want to even get in 20 into years that. yeah i don't even want to get into like the specificity of that but i think there's a lot of like potentially funky timelines going on there and like jumps
0: yeah, well, she says in the next episode, and I don't know how much you can take it at face value, when she's talking to Jones, she says she spent some of, you know, well, last time we saw her, she was walking away from her mother's grave, right? And leaving the mm-hmm. necklace behind. And then we see her at the end of season two, where she's with Ramsey, And what she tells Jones in the next episode is, I tried being ordinary. Mm-hmm. Um and that's kind of the only clue we get. I don't know what that means. I also don't know whether we can take that at face value or not, you know? So she hasn't time traveled
2: at all at this point, right?
0: I don't know what she would have had, how she would have
2: time traveled. Okay. So, so she's just living from 2023 to 2044, just, just walking about with her, her witness defect or her uh, monkey defectors and um, Sam.
0: Yeah, and she obviously knows a lot about the terrain, right? When Ramsey's like, "Why are we moving at night?" and she's like, "Because we're in exile territory, and exiles are nocturnal," right? So she knows a lot about what's out there in the world in terms of what they're up against. So, yeah, that's kind of like a big thing to fill in, right? Like, did Olivia go on that walkabout and try and live a normal life as she told Jones? When when does she decide I'm going to try and take this take the witness down? Right? Because like. The con game, she recruits Ramsey for one con game, but she has her own con game, which is, yes, she wants to kill the witness, but what she's not telling Ramsey is, because I want to take over, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, whether that was always her objective when she walked away from the Army of the 12 Monkeys in season two, or whether that was something that happened as a result of of deter- like figuring out I can't live an ordinary life. I need a purpose. Um, I don't know. Um, it's an interesting question. We should jot that down for uh, <laughs> at the end of the month when we when we talk to the people who would know. Um, the one question. Uh, okay. So before we get to that. So yeah, we were talking about that line. I've been protecting him because you could not. Man, that line is like a kick in the teeth. It was true though. I'm fine he- with Olivia on this one. It's why it's why Ramsey's so tragic, right? Like no matter what he did in season one, even though he hated what he was doing, it was to preserve his son's timeline, right?
1: Well, but even before that, Elena kept Sam from him for the very same reason. Oh, that's a good. He's point. here. He's safe. Like you can't protect him. So talk about like a callback. Now your enemy is like saying the same thing to you as the woman that you loved, and oh, always wow. accusing you of like you can't
2: be the one to you know, to keep him safe. That's why a- he sucks so much when it comes to protection. He doesn't,
0: he doesn't, he doesn't suck. He's in like the why fucking, can't you fight the whole world? My <laughs> he's like, he's up against the apocalypse and the witness. Like everyone, everyone has lost a child because of this time loop at one point or another. Right. Like, so yeah, but I mean, it, even when he has his son right in front of him, the machine splintered him away, right? Like yep. you would feel so, it's not just that he lost his son, but it's that he was standing there powerless. And then she just like, you know, put salt in the wound. Um, but, um, I had a, I had sort of a timeline or not timeline, but a question about they arrive at the camp. The camp has been under attack by what the, Rebels think is the army of the 12 monkeys. Is that, here's my question. Um, oh, and the piece of papers on the tree with Titan's coordinates. Here's my question. Did Malik, I guess it's three, there's three possible answers. Who sent that group to attack them? Was it legitimately just the army of the 12 monkeys and someone loyal to her happened to stick that piece of paper on the post? Was it Malik following their Predetermined plan about how they're going to take over, or was that were they sent by like season four witness Olivia to ensure like this whole loop? Seems like she's involved in pretty much everything along the way. But, so she's be the easiest. So she's at because she does, and Olivia's a, the consummate actress, right? She does seem incredibly surprised when she gets there, and so is that true, or is that just an act for the people following her? Well. She-
1: I mean, assuming
0: season four Olivia did it, it's legit. In that case, right. So if it's either the Pallid Man's men or season four Olivia, then that explains why she's surprised.
2: Well, she's not the the witness yet, right? Correct?
0: Correct. correct?
2: Yeah. Oh, oh my God. I got something right. Got something right about the timeline. So (laughs) she would... Okay, so she wouldn't... I mean,
1: she's not, but she also is. (laughs) The Olivia we see is not the witness.
2: Correct. But
1: she is pulling strings in the background. Season 4 Olivia is already doing that. Well, future Olivia, correct. Right. Yeah. Well, Ali- okay,
0: okay, 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 yeah. okay. There's two. But there's two levels of Olivia pulling strings. Oh god, here we go. Okay? So there's the con and there's like or as Deacon would say, there's three cons going on. <laughs> there's she's in she's she and Ramsey will have this common interest in killing the witness, right? And they will go into the next episode aligned and lying to project, to Team Splinter. Yeah. But then she, this Olivia, who doesn't know she's the witness, right, has her own agenda aligned with Malik, who's sitting over in Titan with Cassie, that they, quote unquote, are among those who have lost faith. And their goal is to take the witness down, to take Ethan down so that she can take over. Right. Then you've got season four, Olivia, who's eating popcorn and watching this all happen from Titan <laughs> and knows that this is the journey she has to go on um, to become who she is in season four. Right. So there's like three layers of, of games of chess going on. Yeah. I think it well, could be
2: okay, so, case. so I would, so my first instinct was to say it was her that that's pulling the strings, but if it was her pulling the strings, <sighs> All right, let me think about this. If it was her pulling the strings, then the witness would already have been back to Titan and there wouldn't have been this unrest that everybody, that Malik is talking about, right? Because she can't send the army of the 12 monkeys without going to where the monkeys are. Am I, am I,
0: I mean, I guess she she could have sent, she could have sent followers in the future using the time machine to go attack them. I guess that's what I was wondering. But maybe that's too much of a jump. Yeah, because she's I sending because she's sending people throughout history, like her henchmen, to go back to talk to Dr. Kirschner to create her in like the 19th. Right? So, yeah, that's what. Like, who sent these people to attack? And who put that piece of paper with Titans coordinates? Terry. <laughs> The writers. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I I, I didn't know if you guys are also confused about this cool. I didn't know if I was like missing something obvious.
1: I just I mean, honestly, I just didn't I kind of just took it for what it was. I didn't.
2: Yeah,
0: I I didn't see anything really into it. Because when she walks up to that piece of paper, what we will see in the series in the season three finale is it is the coordinates to where Titan is. And that's where she goes to join Malik, her co-conspirator, and take over. Right. And so, did he? Did he just like? Ha- anyway, so that that's was my question. Like, what are sort of the machinations going on as to who attacked and and who left those coordinates? Was it Malik doing something on the inside with a group that was already going to attack her rebels? So I, I didn't know. But if you guys don't know either, we can move on. It's just we'll put a pin in it that that's just a question we have. All right. So that takes us to the scene with Ramsey and Sam. So when Ramsey walks in, Sam hasn't seen his father for 23 years or, yeah, 20 years. And his father looks exactly the same. And for Ramsey, his son's been missing for maybe two years. And now he's a grown man, which is a crazy mind fuck. Like, for both of them. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, when he says you'll always be ageless to me, like, absolutely, but if, if my... 10-year-old daughter went missing and two years from now I was standing across from her and she was a 20-year-old woman, like a 20-something-year-old woman. Like, that is insane, right? And, like, so it's just, like, whether it's all the decades that Ramsay spent apart from Sam in season one and then he came back and he was so much older, but his son was, you know, had only been, was a couple months older, right? Like, Mm -hmm. or now it's just, there's so much... Tragic lost time between the two of them. Um, and then when Sam says, Ol- she Olivia protected me, she kept me safe from the witness. <laughs> I wanted to, like, throw something because she is the witness. Like, this whole conversation, right? Um, and then the one part, I guess, that we hadn't covered yet is when he asks his father to – end his suffering the reason why it hits me so hard like watching as a parent is because the one of the most i think like universal just like gut instincts and something you just feel is that you want to stop your child's pain like i can remember even watching one of my kids get stitches and having them yell Please make them stop. And it's, it's like one of the hardest things I've had to listen to when you can't do something to stop it, right? Like it's, it goes all to this whole journey that Ramsey's been on trying to protect your child. But, but you have that parental instinct and it is colliding with your son asking what he's asking for is to end his life. Mm-hmm. And it's just like these two counter acting instincts as a parent that when I watch it is why I find it so tragic because I get the, when Ramsey's like, you know, you can't ask me to do that. And on the other hand, as a parent, all you want to do is stop your child's pain.
2: Yeah. But also one of those things that I always hear parents talk about is they don't want to outlive their kids. No, not ever. I mean, I mean it's just, it's just not, it's not
0: that's natural, not the natural order of things. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it is layers upon layers of like horror losing your son, watching your son die, being the one to have to put your right hand over his mouth and watch him struggle, right? It's just awful. And it's just the most you know, if they have one of the most tragic stories of a familial relationship on this show, they they had them end this story in the most tragic way possible, right? It's not just Ramsey finding him dead when he was minutes away. You know, they really yeah. milk this for as tragic as they could make it. And I think it also makes sense from a story perspective because I understand why coming out of this experience, why Ramsey agrees to do what he sets out to do in Brothers, you know, like, which is what kill Cassie. Okay. Just want, I just wanted to put it tie that little thread there. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I just – it's just horrible. And the only thing that makes it better now is when Sam says things like, you and I were not meant to be like this. We now have that, like, solve of at the end of the series in the coda, we're there together again and playing a game, and that is how they were meant to be. Mm -hmm. You know, like, the right ages, (laughs) right? Like, (laughs) together. And playing the game that they went back and played in season one—that's the only thing that like makes getting through this scene okay. It is really, really—I I find it really, really hard to watch.
2: They probably could have had that in the Red Forest too. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Jen, Chris, no. Hey. No. Hashtag Red Forest Truther. No, you're not a Red Forest Truther. <laughs> no, but I am a devil's advocate. you just stirring things
0: up. Either way, they found their place together. <laughs> I'm a pot stirrer, baby. Right. So, Jen, you had – did you guys have anything else about Sam and Ramsey? No, I'm ready to move on from, okay. from those two. I did – Jen! What? I, all right. I want to say – the one thing I forgot to say, since I'm the only one who's like moved by this scene apparently, is I thought the acting. Oh, I thought that. Aggressive, I thought the acting was phenomenal.
1: It was.
0: It, it was. was. Both of them. But Kirk Acevedo in this scene is like, that was like, a, I thought like an Emmy tape scene. Like it was really, really good. Did it's- you put a little Latina in
1: your voice just then? So she always does when she says this.
0: I am Latina. What do you mean?
2: Well, I, I know, but I was just like, I don't think I've ever heard her say that before. Say it again. It's kind of sexy. <laughs> I'm
0: not uh, no. <laughs> you made it weird. Yes. I don't Mission even know. I don't even know if he says it that way, but it feels weird to say it like asa though. Like I'm just yeah. not get, right. So Jen, you had something else, sort of about Olivia's role. Oh yeah, so. I, I guess this goes, and we can just
2: dis- we can d- discuss this a little bit when we talk about Malik, too. Is mm-hmm. is you know with with Olivia breaking away from the witness and I guess losing her faith in that specific person, are, is she and her followers the Protestants to the Pallid Man's uh, Catholics? I just think it's I, I think it's interesting where when almost every single system of faith always seems to have a, a splinter. <laughs> insert laughter here, Um, (laughs) with new factions... (laughs) With with new factions, it's just kind of springing up after a a loss in faith in a specific thing, whether it be a loss in a a person um, or a specific article of faith or or a set of dogma. So, I just think it's interesting because if you just look at if you just look at main if you look at the the big religions across the world, there always seem to be offshoots and factions and you've got this sect and this sect and these people believe they all believe like uh, yeah, these three different religions believe in the same thing but their books are different or their deities or the prophets are different. So I just think it's, it's a little interesting that, it, but not altogether unpredictable that, that something like this would happen.
0: Yeah, no. And I think, you know, what, I guess a question I have, curious what you guys think. So there's two different ways that you can lose faith, right? So if you were like, if we were comparing this, for example, like Catholic church and then like Martin Luther, right? It's not that you lost faith in Jesus or God, it's that you mm-hmm. don't agree with the way the church is going about administering that religion or the way they worship Jesus or God, right? Yeah, so in the, this-
2: The, the in, articles of that faith, basically. Like, so oh, you have to go to confession, the, the priests are the direct uh, you know, voice of
0: God, things like that right. where-
2: Right. Yeah, I'm like I'm also like,
0: uh, are you though? Right, like I'm watching Wolf Hall. Like you know, should the Bible be in Latin or English, and should we burn people over it? Right, like <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching Wolf Hall, and I'm like, I don't think Sir Thomas More was such a great guy. So, um, so anyway, but um, another is a new religion, right? Like you still believe in God, but you believe in a different prophet. So my question with Olivia and Malik, do they still have? faith in the red forest as the end game. And they have lost faith in eighth and Cole as the person to bring that about. I, 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 yes. I, believe that that, that is the case. Okay.
2: That's my thought. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that, I think that the witness's absence, which is something that Malik mm-hmm. mentions in this episode is one of those things that is going to go, well, what is the witness doing instead of being with his people, his, mm-hmm. his believers, his followers? And then you've got so you've got Malik, and you're like, and Olivia, who are like, hmm, witness is off doing other shit that we don't know about. When are we gonna get to the Red Forest part of this whole belief system? Mm-hmm. And then you've got homeboy Paladin over there mm-hmm. who's just spouting off all of the 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 witness. Dogma, like he probably has like a, a a word of the witness a day calendar on his desk, you know, <laughs> and, and he's just so fucking annoying in his unshakable belief in the witness. And, and didn't he? Um, he's, his fanaticism. Well, yeah, he almost. He, didn't he threaten or almost kill Olivia over her her expression of doubt? Yep. In season yep. two, it was blasphemous, right? Yes, exactly. So it's it's those assholes those kind of assholes who are like oh no this the word of the witness is is gospel it's the truth there is there's no interpretation of it other than being straight from the word of the the mouth of the witness and he is the best thing since sliced bread those people are super duper dangerous Mm -hmm. but if you've got people like olivia and malik chafing against that and going well is it though? And then going, we could probably do this better. Like, who is more dangerous? What are the
0: choices? I'm glad you were listening. I was. I'm just, I, no, 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 I was listening, but the cho- the, the, the the dogmatic the choices, or the, or the like the, revolutionary. The choices
2: are the, are the true believers. The one choice is the true believers like Paladin. Man. The other mm-hmm. choice is, the people who believe in the end goal but see a completely different way of getting there, and oh, by the way, they are the way of getting there.
0: Yeah. So I think I think it depends. So I think the more dogmatic, you could argue they're a less they're they're a less formidable opponent because perhaps they're more predictable. Exactly. But yeah, yeah, but they also are completely inflexible. And that has its own dangers, right? <laughs> well, so. I-
2: exactly. But but also the, the people who want to change things, they want to change things by putting themselves in power. Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself kind of being an end goal. But, you know, power does corrupt. So even if you're like happy little hippie, shiny, smiley baby hippie, yeah. I just want everything to be great and get to the Red Forest peacefully mm-hmm. as soon as that person gets power and is now the, the new witness – yeah, that yeah. shit's gonna go to <laughs> that shit's gonna go to hell really quick. Right, people are awful.
0: Right, and well, people in and, power especially awful. And that brings me back So, like, all if people are listening and they are interested in these themes, then you should read Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel. Because, or I, I would read it before you watch the. Um, the BBC miniseries, because I think it can maybe seem a little slow without the books, but it's exactly that, Jen. It's like people, Thomas Cromwell with the best intentions and a reformer, and you're and you're cheering for him in the first book. And then you get to the second book, and he starts to be in power. And mm-hmm. that starts all of a sudden, you're like, uh Oh, the guy I'm rooting for. I don't like what he's doing now, right? And so um, exactly those kinds of themes. The other thing, Jen, do you know the other thing it reminded me of? And I think we can talk about this um, because it's not actually spoilers. They're just kind of one-off scenes in The Leftovers. You remember in season two where they show the people waiting for revelation for the or like for the end of the world? And they're um, waiting, and they get up on their rooftop and they're it's like set back in the eighteen hundreds and they're like get up on the rooftop oh, and they think yeah, the world's yeah, yeah. they think the world's gonna end. Oh, and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting and nothing happens, and each day less people show up, right? And they're like, mm-hmm. Oh no no, wait, that day wasn't the day the world was supposed to end. We we made a mistake, it's this day, and everybody gets up and then right and so reminding me of that like when you promise something like the witness is gonna return. You best deliver. Right, and nobody knows and nobody <laughs> Nobody knows when he's gonna come, and let's be honest, the pallid man has a lot of strengths, like murder and intimidation. But uh, uh, being a minister is not one of them. He is <laughs> yeah, not he's, a strong public speaker, a, dude. He's not a good hype man for the witness
2: at all. <laughs> not at all. He's he's got that creepy kind of uh, school school um, announcement type vibe going on. I, I, I just don't I don't yeah he yeah doesn't, he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't need to be center
0: stage. <laughs> Sounds like a principal being like, uh, like, right, school announcements, right? <laughs> um, okay, so that that's a good segue to talking about the couple scenes that we get of Cassia Titan. So another scene that, like, hits me in the gut um, because I've had lots of friends that have either had miscarriages or, you know, lost a baby in delivering is listening to them talk about when they woke up in the morning. And their stomach, there wasn't a baby there anymore. And like how, obviously here with Cassie, the circumstances are a little bit different because her baby's still alive, like as far as she knows, right? But that waking up and your stomach, there's no longer a baby inside you and you don't know where it is and it is horrible. I can't even imagine horrible like there's just uh, mo- this scene sammy sam and Ramsey, and when the baby's crying and taken away are three scenes that i feel viscerally when i watch them and malik you know lets her know it kind of we didn't see the very end when Ethan was actually born but the fact that he says that cassie needed to be sedated both for her safety and the baby's is kind of like a very chilling and yet elegant way to let us know how horrific that must have been when they took him away from her after giving birth, right? And like how she must have reacted. Um, And what I think is now, I have a question. When you guys were watching Malik at this point in the series, did you think, did you fall for it? Like you thought, oh, maybe he's like Ariana and he feels sorry for her? Yes. I did too.
2: Yeah, I felt I, – I I did feel that, but I also felt like he was a little mani- manipulative as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean,
1: I thought he was in it for, like, his own purpose, though. I never thought, like, to connect him with Olivia. Because I think she's the person that's most – you know, that we underestimate all the way throughout.
0: Right, no, which is a good question. Did you guys fall for Olivia right now, actually? Like, I remember thinking – Oh, cool! They're gonna do that thing where the person that we thought was the enemy is actually gonna end up like on Team Splinter. And <laughs> <laughs> no, I was really wrong. No, no, no! no. I, I was really that. wrong. I,
2: I didn't think that, but I, I did think that she was gonna redeem herself somewhat, mm-hmm. uh, just by helping that helping them not being part of Team Splinter. And lo and behold, uh, she's the big bad in the end. Which I think I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I saw that coming at all when they when they did that because they they did that. They built up Ethan as the witness so successfully that. Um, and it made so much sense. It did. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't like the just... witness be the, the son of two travelers? Exactly. It's
1: right. not like they just picked someone random, you know?
2: <laughs> and been
0: like, yeah. Oh, it's this right? person. Yeah. All right. So, Malik, you're right. He is both kind of sympathetic, but obviously, this is all part of. Olivia, season three, Olivia's plan, get, he's, you know, we're going to find on the next episode, he's nursing Deacon back to health. He's going to let Cassie give her motivation to want to go even more so go find Ethan, right? And he's going to... Allow that to happen, both by helping Deacon recover, letting Cassie see her son, telling Deacon the way to get to her and arranging it so that they can get away. And all of that is part of Olivia's plan to track down Ethan, like to knock him off, (laughs) right? Like not to save him. So you're watching. Are are we to
2: understand at this point in time that
0: Malik doesn't know where the Guardians are? The Guardians aren't gone yet. So this scene when he's talking to Cassie is before the Guardians splinter away with the baby. Okay. Yeah.
2: So, but I would assume that he'd be part of, he's he's part of um, Pallid Man's inner circle, it seems. Like him and Mags. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would assume that Malik would know where they're sending the Guardians, or is that something Pallid Man just, uh, keeps to his chest?
0: Maybe even the Pallid Man. Who knows? Maybe only the Guardians know. I, I don't know.
2: Yeah, I bet that's real, real tight. Yeah. Okay, so the only way for Olivia and Malik to to find Ethan is to find other people who can time travel right. quickly and easily, right? Which is- because w- moving Titan doesn't seem to be that quick or that easy <laughs> or or that subtle. <laughs> no. Like- <laughs> you you turn on the engine and it's like 5 minutes later okay we're
0: ready <laughs> you also <laughs> disengage the you, clutch yeah and you can't like drop titan in the middle of like you know Victorian London <laughs> yeah i mean we so. could have taken it to paris There's just no way <laughs> right um so you have Cassie walking down the corridor and we have that same music by the caretaker that was in um season 2 the creepy music don't follow the creepy music um and it's t- <laughs> Ties Cassie at Titan in 2163 to Cole in 1922 because it's going to be playing on the phonograph. Um, So it's kind of this music cue that ties the two places where Ethan, you know, where he begins the episode and where he ends up and where Cassie and Cole both are. Um, So he takes her into the museum, which is like the shrine to Ethan Cole and extra 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 so
2: (laughs) fucking extra so (laughs) extra like why is titan a piece of shit looking place except for some of the interiors where they're like shrines to uh shrines to the witness or because it's a machine cassie Cassie, yeah i know but still it's like i watched the the season three premiere i'm like and then there's cassie in her red robes in her like little shawl and shit i'm like with her seven-course meal with pheasant and shit. I'm Mm -hmm. like, dude, Mm -hmm. why are they so extra? Why are they
0: dressed like they're in 1700s? I love all the thing is, funny is, and I can say it like I grew up Catholic, right? Like – if the, if Paladin Man is the Catholic and Olivia is Martin Luther, maybe she's objecting to how fancy he fucking made everything, right? Like everything's super decorated and like, right? Like, yeah, they do, they do,
2: they do have the appearance of nuns a little bit. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Yeah. And then there's this like rope, like, like Red Forest shit, like entwined
0: in the columns. And it's just so gauche. It's, it's so extra bit. I mean, think about how much religious art we have in the world, right? It's like using art to celebrate your faith. It makes sense to me. everything with gold. <laughs> makes sense to me, right? Like, yeah. You know? So maybe they picked up some people from like the Italian Renaissance and they were like, go to work. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Paint me some shit. <laughs> so here's the really fun thing. And I'm curious, like all the things that you guys caught. Now when Cassie's walking around, the Shrine to Ethan Cole. It's so many different props slash clues from future episodes in season three. So there's a grandfather clock. Now there's grandfather clocks all throughout the series. There's one even in the um, Paris apartment in 1922. I don't know if this is the grandfather clock from the House of Cedar and Pine. Um, I would imagine it is. You think it is? Okay. Then we I mean, ha-
2: yeah, that's the only reason it would have significance to the shrine.
0: Right. Then you have, well, I was trying to remember if Ethan had a grandfather clock in his home with Eliza or not. That
2: grandfather clock watched his parents have sex.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Ew, John. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, it was at the, like, right, the conception. Um, we have the witness mask. We have, I, there's a statue of a woman. That's always kind of to the side in the frame and I was curious if that is uh, because we got a lot we have a lot of copies of things right like the, like the grand like the pocket watch which I'll get to in a minute but it looks it looks like the statue that is Eliza's grave where Jennifer finds Ethan when he's shot in the season finale in the season finale but I didn't know if you guys got a better look at it
2: I I wouldn't have put two and two together so no comment okay
1: um, I mean, that would easily make sense, but I just, I did not get a better look at it than you did. I mean, I
2: don't know. I mean, would they have made a, a statue of, of Cassie in her her resplendent red gown and shawl yeah. as mother? Yeah. I don't know. She's like the Madonna. Exactly. Uh, yeah. <gasps> oh, it is like a Virgin yeah. Mary statue. Oh. Maybe. Maybe. Oh. Phallicism loves its Virgin Mary
0: statues. I know. And just to be. Especially when they cry blood, baby. Oh, man. And just to be clear. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. So I don't want people Our to li- get mad. I don't uh, w- She's She's Our Lady of Titan instead I of Our Lady of Guadalupe. I know. I don't want to get like religious hate mail. Just to be clear, I was raised Catholic. I was raised,
2: Ca- <laughs> I was raised Catholic too, FYI. Okay. So. I, w- I even went to Catholic school, wore a cute little plaid skirt. So. All right. I'm an atheist
0: now, though. But we're, vince
1: all the way. <laughs>
0: but we're well, we're well prepared to interpret religious symbolism in television shows. <laughs> exactly. That's definitely the Virgin Mary. It's um, Cassie. All right. So then we see something that is iconic for the show. And we know from season two, but we're going to find out a lot more about it this season, which is The Word of the Witness.
2: Can we make a poster of this, please? Oh,
0: my God. I know. <laughs> I really want a poster of it.
2: Jesus Christ, Terry. If you're listening, can we get <laughs> a freaking poster? Put it up on Redbubble. I swear to God. I'll buy it for like 200 bucks. I'll that- buy the original for 200 bucks, too. Just saying.
0: <laughs> Actually, there was way more than that. Yeah. yeah I know. Yeah. Um, that. Okay. So they're going to steal it <laughs> in-, in a few episodes in the 80s in 305 <laughs> oh one of the best episodes of the series right <laughs> and then later on we're gonna see in the season young man Ethan with Sebastian Sebastian's gonna be the one that suggests to him to put everything that's in his head on paper in that way um, so we're gonna get this we're gonna like have that fun heist but we're also gonna find out sort of the word of the witness origin story this season finally we have Eliza's pocket watch which was, I believe, her father's watch, right? Which she then gives to Ethan to try and get him to stop when he keeps trying to reset the day, right? Mm-hmm. To save her. Um, it also, if you watch carefully, they show us that Cassie swipes it. And that... Ethan, Wait, she did? Yeah, yeah, the hook is empty. I,
2: I did not. Oh, man, I missed that completely. I'm
0: an idiot. So and she, I watched that scene like twice to to make sure I heard Mal correctly. Right, so she swipes it, and in the season finale, the way they're going to be able to get away when Ethan rescues them is Ethan's going to have Eliza's original and Cassie's going to have that one and they're going to put them together and paradox them to create an explosion so Cassie can get away. So, so
2: good. <laughs> so
0: good. <laughs> and those little things are so good. They're so good. It's like so fun now in rewatch because you're like, oh, my God, I know what all that stuff means. Right. Um, I wonder if
2: she took it intentionally if she needed an emergency paradox well, to she- kill Ethan,
0: maybe or to escape or something. Or It's just a pe I mean, I would take it because it's the only thing that's portable and it belongs to your son. Oh, see, I'm like, can I turn
2: it into a weapon? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, there was a lot in the last episode about people keeping objects that remind themselves of people, whether it was Ariana mm-hmm. with her mother's handkerchief or uh, ass- asshole cole. Right. Asshole. Yeah, yeah. With yeah. the watch. And so if I were Cassie, I would have been looking for some piece of my son to have with me right because he's been taken from her and that and that's how i took it but i think it's amazing that then mother and son are going to turn it into a fucking bomb in the season finale <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: it's also kind of neat and she she had nothing to do with this but it's specifically what future asshole told told cole like this watch means that you'll always find your way back to her somehow mm-hmm. and then now she's yanking a watch
0: oh that's
2: true right Right. I mean, and it is... And that grandfather clock that watched them have sex. It's all related. It's almost like this show's about
1: time.
2: <laughs> it's so weird. Is that what they're trying to tell us?
0: <laughs> um you okay. imagine the time zone issues here? Right. So... <laughs> <laughs> we would never be we can barely figure out when this podcast yeah. is starting between eastern and central time. <laughs>
2: and that's only two different time zones and one hour difference and we're like, so what does that mean in central?
0: <laughs> I would have loved for someone to actually ask like a follow-up time zone question. And have everybody look at them and be like, dude, really? Like <laughs> 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 Um okay, so do you want to just take it through Cassie watching Ethan splinter away because this is a part, this is the point in the episode where they're cutting back and forth between Cassie and Cole in two different places. But I think we should just kind of like close the loop on Cassie's point of view, if that makes sense to you all. So they take her up to the place where she actually tried, like she watches the ceremony and they bring out the baby. I think it's hilarious that it's like, even this baby knows the pallid man sucks. Because <laughs> as, soon as, they, as soon as they hand the baby over, he, the baby starts crying. <laughs> but it is like a really great, just like, you sit back and you're like, that is just like, stylish and good drama. The way that like, you've got the guardians, right? Like, coordinated, right? It's, like, perfectly choreographed how they turn around and, like, the music swells, right? But, like, the other thing as, like, again, as, like, a mom Cassie watching a baby cry, like, when you have a newborn baby like that and your infant cries, you have, like, a physical reaction to the baby crying. Like, You, like – it's, like, you – it's really hard to explain, but there's, like, something that happens to your body when the baby cries. And so – I heard that your nipple's, like, is that true? It can sometimes, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But not only that, you, like, sweat. Like, it's, like, it's really, really stressful. And so, like, you think about even, like, the normal reaction as a new mother to your infant crying. And then on top of that, it's the one – Glimpse she has of this baby that's been taken away. And he splinters to God knows when and where. And mm. it is horrible. But I think it's also important going forward. For why Cassie's point of view. In addition to having carried the baby. But seeing him. You know what she'll say in the season finale. You were nothing. Like a blank slate. It's I think it's important for her pers- point of view. As opposed to Cole's. Who wants... Like, Cassie's more willing to believe that maybe Ethan can be saved. And I think it has something to do with seeing him as a baby, you know? Well, yeah. I mean,
2: I, I think that that bond, that bond is there between mother and child. I mean, there's been studies that, that mothers and, and babies release oxytocin um, in each other, which is kind of the happy chemical. Mm-hmm. Um, dogs and their owners do the same thing for one another. So there's, like, there's 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 something happening physically – And to or or chemically within you to produce these emotional reactions and these physical reactions. So I I completely buy that hearing her child and seeing her child for the, the small amount of time that she does is way more impactful than Cole or anybody else could ever think who wasn't a mother and didn't experience that. Mm hmm well especially when it
1: comes down to it in a few episodes when he sees him as a young boy and can't do it either yeah
2: exactly it's mm-hmm. like
1: like the idea the physical, of is one thing but
2: yeah the the physical manifestation of your union is right there in front of you and even though you weren't around for for the some of the growing up part it, you just you just can't you just can't do it you can't just be like give up hope that there's something to be salvaged there especially
0: if you don't know what impact you could have. Right. Because it's like, just an infant in the middle of this insane cult. Who knows who that baby's going to be, you know?
2: Yeah, the witness isn't inevitable. He's not Thanos.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. So, it's just like we'll just round it out of three three horrible Parent child losing your child scenes in this episode. Thank God we have Jennifer in 1921. God bless Jennifer. (laughs) Cheers, Splinter. (laughs) All right. um, Jen, before we get to Jennifer in 1921, we have the, we're going to go to the top of the episode, right? We're going to spend the rest of the episode in the 1920s until the very, Mm -hmm. very end when we're back at Project Splinter. That first opening scene. Of the guardians in the field <laughs> with the splinter suits lit up and all of the crazy music. Tell me how much you love it. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. The This series has always been very, very good about its use of its budget when it comes to the costuming, the lighting, the lighting effects and how it frames shots. And when I saw these, these, you know, it's, it's they, they have it in the dark, so you don't see anything more than silhou- silhouettes of trench coats, bowler hats, and then the the three glowing lights on each splinter suit. I'm like, and just seeing that, I, I was like, this show is pure sex visually. <laughs> I don't know how they do it, but but I've always like the way the, the splinter chair looks like and the whole machine, how it lights up. And you got you know you you got people disappearing at times and just everything in this show is kind of impeccably done. And when I first saw the Splinter Suits, I was like, oh, this is this is going to take things to a whole new level because first of all. They're going to put some of our people in them probably, and it's going to be sexier than all get out, and I'm not going to be able to handle it because <laughs> they're just so cool, dude. They're like so fucking cool. And just the idea of of having a suit that you can wear that you can splinter in time and space like Jones, why didn't you think of this, <laughs> Jones, my girl? Why did you not come up with this idea? No wonder that- she's so
0: mean to Jennifer. <laughs> she didn't think of it.
2: <laughs> oh man, I just, just, I just love this show's aesthetic so much. Um, and, and uh, you know, hats off, bowler hats off to the <laughs> the props and the costuming department for for. You know, taking probably some some rough drawings from from Terry and the other writers and, and putting these things together and making them look so cool on what I imagine was a very fixed budget because you guys well I don't know if you guys you you don't you probably don't remember but uh, they announced at the end of season two that there will be two more seasons mm-hmm. of, of Twelve Monkeys and it would be you know then it would be over mm-hmm. so they had to do all of this kind of. You know, all at once type of thing, and then figure out how they want to end this this whole this whole journey. And it, I, I just always get the feeling with with sci fi shows, and, and now more than ever, that as sci fi, the network, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not the genre. That they're very strict budget wise, um, the, the the studios that they work with are on on kind of really some tight budgets. So you got to get creative in how you produce things, how you shoot things, how you use your time in in uh, cities like Prague or whatever. So appreciate. I, I mean, I just from a from a budgetary perspective, hats off to these people for what they were were able to accomplish. but like why are the bo- why the bowler hats? Why? Charlie Chaplin, like, man, it's the
0: 1920s. But no, but,
2: but think about it. Think about it. Yeah, if you had these four guardians appear to you, and they're only wearing trench coats, and they've got the splinter, the splinter vests on, but they don't have anything on their heads. They all just have heads like normal people. Mm-hmm. It w- the the visual impact would have been lessened a little bit. You didn't have like this 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 uniform look. You wouldn't have had a uniform look across them all. So I was just like, these, these very deliberate choices to make, to de individualize them in that moment in time, to, to produce the four horsemen of the apocalypse, basically, was
0: just so. F- fucking cool. Yeah, it's it was, and I'll say, like, I was watching, oh, well, with Barry, who was on last week, and I got to watch these first two episodes next to a first-time viewer. So you kind of, like, capture that, that, like, watching someone be like, what the heck are those things? Right? Like, it, right? It, it's so fun, because now we, like... We take it, we take it for granted. The next two seasons are all about the splinter suits, right? So, like, that first, like, what the hell are those things? And you're right, Jen. It's just so stylish, you know? Like, just, uh, I feel like that word is insufficient, but like, it just looks so, how would Agent Gail say? It's just so damn cool, <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, I mean, future
2: asshole was, I don't, I don't know why. I, I guess I do know, but, but, he was like a hundred times sexier Mm -hmm. in that splinter suit in the season finale i was just like future asshole hello (laughs) (laughs) hello
0: nurse oh man i know uh i gotta i gotta i gotta try and keep things professional do you
2: you you have to hit pause real quick (laughs) uh i gotta go uh see a guy about a thing
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> season uh, season finale, uh, series finale of Future Assholes a lot. All right. have <laughs> tried to keep it cool on this podcast, but oh my God. Um. All right. Jennifer in France for five years. Last time we saw her was in a World War I trench. <laughs> she apparently was a prisoner of war. <laughs> Tell me, because I know you guys both – I particularly beep, but you guys are huge Jennifer fans. This is one of the whole episodes where you get to spend a lot of time with Jennifer. Just tell me sort of your initial Jennifer feels about this whole sequence where we, you know, Dark Amy said on the Bodies of Water pod where we watched that Mary Tyler Moore sequence where she was playing a role and like Mm -hmm. pretending to do well in a city on her own. This is, you know... uh, she made it. She like survived five years in the nineteen like surviving without without medication. Right, but like yeah, and she actually the like the 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 like kind of fake playing a role and not feeling like herself that we watched in Bodies of Water when she was in New York, this is now watching her. I mean, I feel like this is part of watching her come into her own. I agree with that. And I think it's interesting the vocation that they chose for her. Mm-hmm.
2: As a creative, she's allowed to let a little of her crazy free to 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 reign, basically. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with your statement because it feels like this – this was Jennifer really expressing herself to Cole and a little bit to Jones about her own autonomy and what she wants to be and what her hopes are, mm-hmm. rather than simply being a primary that is an ends to a means. Uh, obviously, she is still a little bit of an ends to a means with Jones, who kind of passes her off and calls her uh, causalities fool. And as a huge Jones stan and a huge Jennifer stan, this hurts my heart in a great way great uh, a great deal but I feel like at the end of season two where she was she was leading the daughters she was kind of failing at that and she kind of left that she she only succeeded with the daughters when she was willing to put her life on the line for her friends and this is more of that a little bit where she's like I thought I was part of the team I thought you came back here for me because you cared and you didn't and it hurts her a great deal, mm-hmm. and I think I really think that season three and four are are kind of spotlight seasons for Jennifer, where she is this person of her own in in a way that's clearly more powerful than she's been in 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 the past. Not you know I'm not saying that to to be um, to be clever, but she's. Especially because she's,
1: she's even more in the past right now, so it doesn't really
2: work. <laughs> exactly. But but she's she's more present in a way because she's, she's accepting all the facets of her personality and her primariness as something that is just who she is. You either have to take her or leave her. She doesn't always have to be crazy in the institution, Jennifer, or measured and quote unquote normal because I don't like to call people who you know who exhibit what we think is acceptable behavior just normal Mm -hmm. all the time when she's on her medication that's clearly those two those two dichotomies are clearly not who Jennifer is and she's had to spend a lot of time trying to figure that out and a lot of that is dependent on her relationship with Cole and Jennifer and Jones and, and Deacon and Team Splinter and all that so I think I think it's I feel like she's just like really blossoming mm-hmm. in, in season 3 and becoming something that she was always kind of destined to be. Like she never became the the old mother mother with the daughters, but she became something completely I you know, I guess her trajectory would have been that at at the end if she was allowed to grow old, but I just think that her journey is fantastic. And and this episode in particular is really where she's like, you know, fuck you all. I really thought you came back here for me and you didn't. You just want to use me as a means to an end. So double rods, I'm out. Mm -hmm.
0: Beep, did you have any sort of big picture feels before we, we jump into the scene by scene?
1: I think that one of the coolest things about Jennifer is the way that she kind of Is able to perform when everything is stacked against her. I think that something that's really cool about her is like for someone who is always so out of place. She has kind of a knack for making a place for herself anywhere. And she just kind of like rolls with it. And so like like you guys said about the creative side, you know. Oh, I can be an actor, I can act this way, and people will just accept it. Great. <laughs> exactly. Let's go with that. And in fact, she, you know, even for the rest of the series to some degree takes on takes on the acting as a way to express her real feeling.
0: Well, right. And even like the glimpses that we will see of whether it was twenty twenty Jennifer or old Jennifer or Her going back to her timeline and all of the things that she has to write, she ends the series with Deacon being like, this is going to be the performance of a lifetime, right? And the actor does not say farewell to the audience. So we're watching her take on this occupation in kind of an authentic way, right? Like acknowledging she's an actor instead of faking it to be successful in the city or faking it to head the daughters, right? She's like owning it and be like, okay, then I'm going to get up on a stage and I'm going to act, right?
2: (laughs) Yeah, and she's kind of perfect for the role because she can be whatever she needs to be, whether it's like a 1980s heist or um, singing in front of Hitler. Mm -hmm. She can let her freak flag fly, so to speak, when she takes on these roles With that, that she needs to help Team Splinter get to the next step of its plan or its journey.
0: Right. Um, So just to pivot from that, I mean, I think it's significant. I mean, just as we're saying that, you know, season three and four shines the spotlight Mm -hmm. on Jennifer she claims the where are you right now monologue uh, oh my god it's, so, it's so great. so it's been in cole's words it's been in cassie's words now jennifer is claiming the monologue where am i right now somewhere warm safe with people who care about me <laughs> nope oh my so so think about other shows
2: that repeat Big dialogue pieces, like big dialogue moments, Mm -hmm. and just drive them into the ground and strip all meaning and emotion from them, Mm -hmm. simply because they use them as a plot device, Mm -hmm. versus this, Mm -hmm. where it's different people asking these questions in order to prompt you into their narrative, in order to move you into their experience, and it's done Phenomenally. And this, and Jennifer's is the best.
0: Ah, her <laughs> postcard, authorized, been here since 1917. WTF. <laughs> it's so good. It's like a text message, but on a postcard in the 1920s. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. And then you have, like, you feel her, like, dilemma, right? Like, how is she supposed to get a message to them and not – blow her cover in terms of who she is because you know the army of 12 monkeys is gonna find her in this episode even under her pseudonym when she does the play right so like you get her dilemma although it's like pretty funny when she's talking to the priest and she's like not even god will help me you know like (laughs) can you mail this postcard 95 years from now (laughs) (laughs) oh my god so, I mean, you know, like, I absolutely they're leaning into, like, we're watching Jennifer find herself, but also they don't forget that it can also be played for humor, like that poor priest being like, dude, you're crazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> even though we know what she's saying makes sense. So, all right, if we can jump into the next, we'll launch off sort of with Jennifer's costuming. Um, But what I think is interesting about this whole time that she's on stage and the voiceover and obviously the performances she's doing, it's basically an homage to film. And this is this is during the beginning of film, right? In the the 1920s. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to get very specific. So like from beginning with her costume all the way through the play she's doing, it is a super meta homage to kind of like the history of, I mean, there's a big gap, but like the history of film. So to begin with, her costume that she's wearing with the cap, you know, and she's wearing kind of that overall outfit when she's talking to the priest and when she's trying to get into the theater and the theater owner is like, no, like, go away, you rat, right, you rodent, like, on all of that. She is costumed. And this isn't just like, this originally was a rabbit hole and then there was an article um, um, in mental floss last week if folks are interested that was had a bunch of like um it kind of put together a bunch of tidbits about the show with interviews and costuming and things like that and emily hampshire worked with the costume designer to base her costume off of a charlie chaplin 1921 film called the kid and we'll post on twitter um when the pod comes out um Charlie Chaplin, it was the first film he directed, and he plays a man who adopts a orphan or thinks he's orphaned boy, and the little boy is wearing those like kind of oversized overalls and the little cap. And so she's dressed it's like a is it a pageboy cap? Is that, what, it, is that what, it, it, what it's called? It looks like a Newsies cap, kind of, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a yeah, cap. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if that's the right decade, but it looks like, you know, Christian Bale Newsies to me, but that might be the right decade. But yeah, so that kind of oversized hat that's got the brim to the side and all of that. We'll post the poster, but um, yeah, it's, it's basically – and it's the right year, right? It's 1921, so she styled like it was – Here's the really fun fact. It was the second grossing film in 1921. Guess what the top film in 1921 was? Is it is it a bad thing? The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. What? That was the number one film in 1921. Right? Like, they, of course they knew that. Or it's the biggest coincidence ever. But the number one film in 1921 was a Rudolph Valentino film, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. What the heck? <laughs> It's so cool, like yeah. So, anyway, so it's kind of fun built into all of this. There's all this like super meta 1920s kind of like the or this is silent films, right? Like the the early early cinema that is all this homage built in that I didn't even really realize on first watch. Um, The song that's playing. (laughs) <laughs> is a song written by Cole Porter, and this version is sung by Maurice Cheval, uh, Chevalier. Chevalier, Chevalier. Mm-hmm. It's a 1957 song, so like Jennifer, it is an anachronism. It is somewhere. It is does not belong in the time <laughs> in the time that she's in, and the name of it is. I love Paris when Jennifer really doesn't fucking love Paris or want to be there. <laughs> so I thought even like the song was funny. Um, that takes us to the theater. One of the first roles Jennifer takes on on the stage is actually as Charlie Chaplin with the little mustache and the bowler hat um, and doing kind of his slapstick humor on stage. And while that sort of kicks off her series of sci-fi plays, we get, <laughs> which we're going to believe me, we'll dig into. We get a really great voiceover that is like a meditation on entertaining or storytelling. So she says, you got to make them laugh, which actually reminded me of a whole song, Make them laugh. That's in singing in the rain. Um, make them cry. Um, and you show sort of the audience. They're focusing on the audience reactions, right? The audience is laughing. Wait, wait,
2: wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is that, it, it also that reminds me of be a clown that that song doesn't it say about make them laugh make them cry it's kind of a sad song i think it is oh i don't know that song uh maybe maybe look it up after after the podcast but um yeah I, but it also goes to the drama masks
0: too as well oh yeah good point right i mean you've got people vomiting in the audience right it's like have them in the palm of your hand and then <laughs> and then you twist it right and it's kind of like this really great uh, it almost feels like the writers winking at the audience like yeah this is what we do and this is what we do to you <laughs> in this story right like even in this episode yeah all right so Jen you had before we delve into Jennifer is the apparently the mother of sci-fi you had some observations about entertainment in the 1920s
2: <laughs> well it's just I, like if if you had to watch this in the theater you would you probably just want to die like you have no internet you don't have your phone like like she's in the 1920s and doing jazz hands and that's that's <laughs> entertainment that's how she gets a gig like I I would just I would die of boredom but but that's I think that's more a um uh, an indictment of of me and my my modern tastes versus what was what was cool back then
0: you know what's funny that you say that though so I get what you're saying but there's certain things that are timeless and she's doing one of those things on stage where she's acting like Charlie Chaplin and doing the slapstick because I watch Singing in the Rain with my kids. Have you guys ever seen Singing in the Rain? Mm, I don't think all the way through. So there's a really, um, it's actually uh, what made me think of it is when Jennifer and her voiceover says make them laugh um, Don O'Connor does this crazy slapstick where he's falling everywhere kind of Ode to slapstick humor in this song called Make Him Laugh, where he proceeds to like fall and hurt himself in every conceivable way. I have never seen my iPod-loving screaming, right? Like, kids laugh harder in their lives <laughs> than in a slapstick scene in a film from, like, 1950. So it's kind of funny how, like, some things, maybe it's just because deep down all humans are terrible and we laugh at people falling and hurting themselves, but, like... Sure. <laughs> so well, there, there were so certain <laughs> things that Jennifer was doing, like, I totally get the jazz hands, but slapstick humor is still really funny and it goes all the way back to this time.
2: Well, the thing is, though, is, like, physical humor is really really difficult too so mm-hmm. I, I when i when i read stuff in entertainment and they call out a, a really great piece of, of of acting and physical humor mm-hmm. like this kind of pratfall or, or slapstick stuff it's always pointed out that this is really really good this is a good example of the craft and it's a really really difficult to do right it's kind of like comic timing Mm-hmm. That you either have it or you don't, and if you don't, you, you
0: it's really apparent that it's that's cringy, right? So
2: yeah, it, it's it's hard it's
0: hard to do. Yeah. So, and if you're ever having a bad day, just go Google "make them laugh from singing in the rain," and I promise that like you will laugh <laughs> by the end of it. It's so good. Okay,
2: but I just want to I just want to point out though something amazing about Jennifer is that she's out of time. She's in a foreign country, doesn't know the language, Mm -hmm. and she makes it for those five years. She survives, and she gets herself a job (laughs) as a a single woman in the 1920s. I just think it's amazing and a testament to Jennifer's resilience and ability to make the best out of a pretty bad situation.
0: Yeah, and I love that they write in a way that allows these actors that have a second language to shine, right? So like Emily Hampshire, who speaks French, and then in the next episode, they're going to find an excuse for – Barbara Sakawa to be able to speak German to Olivia, right? And there'll be future episodes where she'll get to speak German, oh, so great. <laughs> right? Or Emily, I'm sure will be able to speak French, right? In the Indie Glocka. So and I love that they just like, right? I mean, this is a sophisticated show where people are going to speak in our language and we're going to get subtitles, right? And we're going to roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> I splinter. <laughs> All right. So let's go to the amazing sci-fi plays. So, I mean, in this time loop, in this... It means that Jennifer Goines is the first person to tell the story of E.T. <laughs> and Jaws and Alien in 1922. <laughs> Long before Steven Spielberg or right, like anyone, James Cameron ever got their hands on it, right? Jennifer Goines is the godmother of 1970s and 80s sci-fi blockbusters. Um, this set design. And the whole, like, I'm talking about, like, uh, like of the stage, like, the theater that they create with the sets, right? And down to Jaws, like, the name of the boat, which is the orca, right? Or the sock puppet as the alien coming out of her stomach. <laughs> it is so creative. It, it is so freaking delightful. And it's, like, now it's, like, you know, those kids that put on the play in New Jersey of Alien? yeah it's like, you know this is like a couple of years before that. It was just like <laughs> just a wee bit before it's that. The next level creativity for a show that already is super complicated and all of the things that it's like keeping track of. but it was just fun. And, like, the, like, you know, I don't know if, like, the prop department or the set decoration or the art department just being, like, okay, now we got to come up with, like, what would a play of Alien look like? <laughs> and, like, what would a play of E.T. <laughs> e. look like? What would you use as the prop for E.T. in the bicycle? Like, it's so good. Oh, um, <laughs> Do you guys have, like, it's just, it's so fun to watch. Well, it is, because they really,
2: they really let loose with Jennifer in these these last two seasons. And,
0: I just, everything that she does is just so much fun. Right. And thank God we have Jennifer on a bicycle in a red cape with little <laughs> E.T. in her basket in the same episode that we had to have Ram- Ramsey, like, suffocate Sam. <laughs> thank God. Um, the actual play that is our show. The play, The Army of the Twelve Monkeys. I love that poster so much. I wish you could purchase that poster. The one that's like The Army of the Twelve Monkeys and kind of like the Art Nouveau French that like the theater owner later tears down.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, no, note to Terry. It's another piece we'd like to get a copy of
0: (laughs) well that should be an easy red bubble like that's a that would be a really cool poster like just the art that went into not only the like props on the and the set design on the theater but also all the like art nouveau custom like posters that they came up with um you have titan and you have the titan set (laughs) which is so it's, like, the, <laughs> the most so. ridiculously meta thing I think I've ever seen on a TV show. And later, the Guardian sees it, and he just came from Titan, and he's seeing, like, Play Titan on the <laughs> stage.
2: <laughs> oh, my God. And the scale of everything is so ridiculous,
0: too. <laughs> it's so good. Like, I'm just going <laughs> to laugh through this whole thing, because it all just makes me so happy. Um... The really fun rewatch part of it is that Jennifer's playing dual roles, right? She's playing herself, who she calls the mistress of time. And then she's wearing that half witness mask, right? Where she turns. Mm -hmm. So the witness is a woman. (laughs) It's being played by a woman, right? Um, When we don't know that the witness is actually a woman yet. And then Jennifer actually previews for us what will eventually happen at the end of the series. She faces off against the witness, which she will do in the series finale when she drinks the tea and goes to the house of Cedar and Pine and lures Olivia to them, right? To bring Titan mm-hmm. to them. Then she wins. She bows. And then she says, I have to return to my own time and then splinters away. And now it's like, oh, my God, they told us how it was going to end. And I can't help but think of her farewell to Jones and Cassie and Cole when she bows and says, you know, the actor does not say farewell. It's really it's some really cool details on rewatch. And then, of course, that takes us to the blue spotlight. Jen, just say it. (laughs) Je splinter. (laughs) And then, of course, they put the translation, I splinter. (laughs) Oh, my God. I
1: I love, like. Imagine watching her. I mean, she's standing there, like, convulsing out of nowhere.
2: (laughs) Je splinter. But I love that we
0: needed the translation. I splinter. I love
2: that. You know, you know that they, they were just fucking. Oh,
0: it's so great! <laughs> but you know what? Then that. Then we enter this. Even as if we weren't meta enough, the I take it as. And Jen, you were talking about the sci-fi network uh, part part of things. She does. She finishes the Army of the Twelve Monkeys play, and the theater is almost empty, and there's a few people <laughs> clapping. And I'm like, fuck, is that a commentary on the readings? Like, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) So that then takes us to her theater. Her boss is mad because... Unfortunately, as much as we delight in the Army of the Twelve Monkeys play, it bombed. And (laughs) it just hurts my heart, even watching, like, only a few people clapping. It's so meta (laughs) in a really hurtful way. Um, So then she says, and I just want to go through this. I'm going to go through the dialogue because it is so delicious. And then we can just, like, scream about it. Give it a chance. If you don't advertise, how will I build an audience? No one understands time travel. Uh, the smart ones do. <laughs> <laughs> do the space one or something with magic? People love magic. Oh my
2: god! Is that meta commentary on the expanse and, and the, the magician? Magi- yes. <laughs> <laughs> This feels like this feels like This feels like Terry taking a crap on the sci-fi network. <laughs> and
0: I I wholeheartedly agree. Or Sean Trena, I don't know who wrote it, but man, I was like cheering from my couch. <laughs> 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 and it's so funny because it's like I will look back on that scene and they captured what I think is basically the now has now ended golden era of the sci-fi network where they had some really really great shows and now they don't <laughs> and now all they all they do is
2: cancel shows after like two seasons
0: yeah i mean so or one
2: season so i will you know uh word of warning to people who love genre shows on the sci-fi channel you're probably not going to get a happy ending or
0: uh, an ending, <laughs> unfortunately
2: a ending. or yeah, an and, ending
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Or AC, or A season two, if you really dig something. So, or
0: you're going to have to work really, really hard for Amazon to pick it up. (laughs) (laughs) And then you can get an ending with The Expanse. But, (laughs)
2: well, 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 they kind of had a leg up because uh, Homeboy, uh, what's his name? Jeff Bezos is a huge fan of the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I think, I I don't think that 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 series is in any danger. But unfortunately, there are many different sci fi shows that are being canceled because sci-fi network just doesn't seem to know what the fuck it's doing.
0: Yeah. Oh my God. So like when the whole thing, no one understands time travel. Oh, the smart, the ones, smart do. ones do. <laughs> I'm like, who oh, is that us? <laughs> but, I don't, but I don't understand it all the time. <laughs> but yeah, it's just so mad because, you know, obviously the three of us are always on our like, you know, uh, what you call like megaphones being like watch this show <laughs> but yeah the whole thing it's just it's so great <laughs> it's so meta and just, and
2: just the way jennifer just says those things though uh the smart ones do <laughs> it's
0: like it's just so great oh my gosh so that is like uh, is like a Monument of as meta as a TV show can get, and it is delicious. They cover like the state of television, what network executives must say when people are doing a genre pitch, 1920s through 1980s, like sci fi films. It's just amazing. That takes us to Jennifer alone in her room, surrounded by all of her drawings. Some of which are clues for things to come, but then some really, really personal ones. Um, At her dressing table, in her mirror, which she must have looked at like every day, are drawings of Cole and Cassie and Jones. And she's talking to them saying, I hope you guys are okay. I know. I hear those whimpers. And it's like, (laughs) uh, it tells you so much about how lonely she's been and what those relationships mean to her which just sets us up for how painful the next couple scenes are when they're reunited right yeah there's a couple clues in there obviously we've got a drawing of the guardians we've got the drawing of the guardian holding the parasol which we'll see later oh in- if we
2: could get a if we could get a print of the the drawing of the guardians that would be great
0: i know it's super cool it's so cool her drawing is so cool yeah Um, The other thing about the drawings is we haven't actually seen primary drawings since – I think it's Bodies of Water, right? And from now on, they're going to play a really important part. Whether it's Jennifer's drawings, (laughs) Ethan's drawings, the thing – what Jennifer says about scribbling out her sanity, right? But, like, the things that Jennifer draws, it's going to take on a whole new level of importance, like, basically from now on. Um, So then the Guardian finds her – and, like, she evades him. It culminates on the stage with, who's with you? And she says, no one. And boom, Cole and Jones show up. Jen, did you have feelings about this? Do you have a note? I did have
2: feelings. And then and then my feelings got kicked in the gut. <laughs> um, I thought it was am- – I mean, it's just like, you know, you, you love those big dramatic scenes where the, the rescue takes place and the badasses are there with the gun. And it's not just Cole – it's Cole and Jones, like w- with their two with their two guns, looking all cool and shit, with like cool nineteen twenties hair. Yeah, we haven't with, seen with Jones. Curls. Yeah, we haven't seen yeah. Jones
0: in period costume before. Yeah. So
2: I-, I thought it was really great, and then and then it was like, oh, cut to commercial. And then we're going to come back and kick your feelings in the nads. <laughs> Ugh, they're <laughs> the, both the worst this episode. They are the worst. And I felt so weird about hating them, beep.
0: I think I think awful. Jones is worse. Oh, definitely. I think Jones and it is hurts. worse. It hurts my heart. Okay. So let's break down because I, I think there's two things that um, – I think, are larger things that this show does for why I, as painful as these scenes sometimes are, I really appreciate them. The first is having people air their grievances and say they're sorry and move on from them and voice their insecurities and their place in a team and things like that. It, It seems like this, which are why we're so invested in these people as a group of people at the end of the series
2: well i think it's also important what you just said is that they move on from them they don't dwell in the same personal drama and and dysfunction that that would become really boring to watch they you know they'll have more conflicts in the future but they're but they're able to kind of explain to each other why they feel the way they feel understand their culpability in the other's hurt feelings. And, and they're able to apologize and say, look, I, I, I said it and I didn't necessarily mean it, but I said it cause I was feeling this way because I've lost Cassie. I've lost, uh, Ramsey. I've lost everybody and you're the way to get them back. And I just saw you kind of as a tool to get there rather than, you know, a, an important part of this family. Right. And it's, it's really, it's the moving on part in conf- in personal conflicts is so important you can't just sit there and dwell in the same shit stew between characters and never reach a conclusion to a chapter uh, of 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 hurt between them and resolving that so they can move forward otherwise you're just stuck in shit stew and nobody
0: enjoys that right and we've watched it drags down we've seen it drag down other shows whereas I feel like whether it's 12 monkeys or the expanse people have these kind of like people get mad and people act like dicks but then they eventually air it out like adults and, <laughs> exactly and then you move like it on and then and then you move on right and then there's other sci-fi shows currently airing where i feel like i've been watching the same fucking argument for four seasons so the other thing that i think is really important um that the show does really well and why i want to kind of break down is always remembering different characters' points of view. And it's particularly complicated when you've got characters for which different lengths of time have passed.
2: Well, you know? yeah, that's a thing is like when when they had when Jones and, and and Cole came back and and just kind of broke Jennifer's heart, mm-hmm. I was just like, I'm totally team Jennifer right now. I wasn't even considering what Cole's been through or what Jones is, is, is thinking I was completely team Jennifer at this point and feeling her, her hurt because I was just like, dude, you don't do Jennifer like that. You don't call her causality's fool and just kind of like flippantly blow her off the way they were. And I was just, I was like, look, I can't, I'm upset with these guys. I don't like it. I'm supposed to like the good guys. Right. You can't do that to Jennifer. She's
0: she's a she's a precious baby. Right. And you know, I think we're supposed to feel with her, right? This whole section of the episode is in her point of view. We have we unlike Cole and Jones have seen what she's been through. We saw her in a World War I trench. We've seen her on her own. We we have seen her talking to their pictures. We know that for her, it's been five years on her own in a foreign country and a different, you know, decades before she was born, right? Um, Desperately trying to get in touch with them, never hearing any word back, wondering where the hell they are. So that's Jennifer's headspace when these two people of whom, like, she's been talking to their pictures show up and they're not even, like, happy to see her, right? Like, they don't hug her. They don't, right? Like, you get and, – and they kind of trick us a little bit, right? We get that kind of heroic, who's with you? No one. And then Cole and, and Jones show up. And I think if it were a lesser show, they would have hugged and then, like, moved on to the mission. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. Cole and Jones, it's only been – it's wh- like, what, six months or so? Right. So in the season, ce- you know I yeah, we got a montage at the beginning <clears> of the season three premiere that it's been months. Um, months, the whole time they thought that it's only been months for Jennifer and they thought she was trapped in Titan. Cole was killing himself trying to find Titan, Right completely unfocused on the mission to the point that Jones was calling him a mad dog. And he, he specifically brought up Jennifer and Ramsey when Jennifer was like, you have to, I mean, when, when, when Jones was like, you have to move on, he's like, what move on and like forget Cassie and Jennifer and Ramsey. Right. Like, of course, of course he, you know, his main focus is Cassie, but he also mentioned Ramsey and Jennifer, right? Like he mentioned the three people who are missing, who are the closest to him. Um, yeah, And he's been, it's only been a couple months for them. They have no idea it's been five years for her. He's just been told by future asshole that she's the key to figuring out the entire puzzle. And they are dealing with this. Crazy new technology that's a total game changer that Cole saw himself wearing in the future, and here's this fucking army of the 12 monkeys guy, and here's the piece of technology, like right in front of them. So those are the two points of view that come clashing together in this really painful exchange. Um Beep, did you have any sort of Jennifer feels before we kind of go into the actual argument?
1: No, I mean, I I understand everything you're saying, but this is still, like, as the person, you know, who just is, like, completely left out, this is a hard pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just rough on her end. And I just kind of looked at it as, you know, even Cole was, like, even frustrated when Future Asshole said, like, you gotta go find Jennifer. He was like, you know, what do you mean? Like, I still want to go find Cassie. Like, that sort of thing. So, I don't know. that This is... This episode... And that aspect is very, very difficult for me.
2: Yeah, I mean, looking at it kind of from everybody else's perspective, dealing with Jennifer, understanding that she is sometimes a frustrating individual mm-hmm. to work with, and she will not intentionally mislead or engage in subterfuge, but she tends to talk in riddles and, and, and phrases things in a way that's hard to understand if you're expecting to have a... A normal conversation with her. So throughout the series, Cole has expressed frustra- frustration with her, both verbally and in in just the way uh, he he responds to her visually. That I can kind of understand where. Oh God! So you have. So you're telling me that the way to save everything is through the person that is sometimes the least helpful among us. Like oh great so we're gonna have to navigate Jennifer Goins but we he doesn't he doesn't love her or find her as amusing as
0: the audience does so that's where well, there's that that but here's the separation but here's the thing I actually uh, look look I'm I'm not I'm just playing devil's advocate I'm not saying that I did I don't watch these scenes and it hurts my heart it does but I cut Cole a little bit more slack when it comes to Jennifer. Because he has always been the one to go to bat for her when nobody else was willing to do that. Right? So, like, whether it was with Jones or Cassie or Ramsey, when they were like, oh, she's the worst. And he's like, no, she's not that bad. Right? Like, he's always been the one to go on a bat with her, who believes in her, who listens to her. But it is. And I know we love her, but she can be really frustrating, particularly when you think can be. If I knew her in real
2: life, I do not think I would want to hang out with her. (laughs) If I needed to get... Her to do something important for me, but I see what you're saying. But I think Cole, all, always in the plot, is the the character who stands up for whomever is being criticized at that moment. True, because he does it. He does it for Cassie. He does it for Jones.
0: He does it for Ramsey. Yeah.
2: He he is a stalwart, steadfast character and loyal to who who his people are. But I think that he gets. I, and I think we see it in the in the premiere of season three. He gets a little lost sometimes in his obsession in, in trying to find things because he is now fully invested in the mission or or in Cassie or or trying to do whatever he has to, to the point where he's having a fist fight with, with his own mother. Well, we don't know that yet, but <laughs> but still mm-hmm. so I, I think so that I think that's why I'm a little taken aback when he's more Jones like when he first uh, comes across Jennifer in 1922, rather than than the Cole that we know will go to bat for Jennifer.
0: Yeah, I I, I guess I I think if you're coming from their perspective, I mean, first of all, I think the way the actors play the scene. The way I took it, I thought Cole, I thought Jennifer being hurt actually gave Cole pause where he's looking Mm -hmm. after her, whereas Jones has like zero fucks to give and all she cares about is the machine. Right. Exactly. And she's calling Jennifer causality's mm-hmm. fool. Cole's kind of stuck in the middle where he's frustrated, but he also keeps looking at Jennifer. He watches her leave the room. Jones could care less. So, like, on the spectrum in terms of, like, yes, he's frustrated, but I think the fact that he obviously it registers that he's an asshole. We never see Jones apologize to Jennifer. Interesting, oh, no. right? So I mean, yeah. so, so... that's so, so in character, though. Exactly, it's, it all, totally, in it's with, all totally, it's totally in character. And so when we're talking about it, I think we're reacting to it exactly the way it was designed. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. no,
2: I, I, com- I completely. And that's why the next scene in in the hotel is super painful mm-hmm. because we get distraction dance, mm-hmm. which I need like a I need like a song to go with that like uh, something akin to safety dance. Mm-hmm. And when Jones gets shot, Jennifer is visibly and audibly concerned. Even after Jones is, dismisses her and calls her ca- causality's fool, fool, uh, Jennifer's obviously invested in these people and deeply hurt mm-hmm. by their treatment of her. And that's what makes it... The, the concern going one way and not the other is... Is what makes it so painful. Absolutely,
0: I, I do think it's important just to um, jump really quickly to some of the dialogue. Um, I mean, some of it's just really funny, like calling Jones "Grandma Time" when she's actually <laughs> Cole's grandma is amazing. And there's a cut scene. There's a cut scene on the DVDs from this episode where Jones and Cole are walking to the apartment building where they I, – I forget the exact words. It was a huge clue about Hannah, a huge clue. And then they ended up cutting it. So I think it's interesting that, that Jennifer calls her grandma time and I don't think it's just meeting her age. Um, but, but their fight where Cole is like, you know, basically like, can't you just help us? And when Jennifer says, all I ever do is help you, Cole, I mean – Have you ever heard – it's like one of the truest things I've ever heard come out of her mouth, right? Like a character's mouth that is both absolutely true in everything that she's done the entire series, but also why she would be so hurt. It's like she's been fucking stranded for five years, Because he came to her and said, will you come to the post-apocalypse with me? And she said, self-preservation has never been my thing. And she went with him. And then, like, she traveled cross-country leading what she called, like, basically a bunch of, like, eyeshadow-wearing drama queens that don't listen to her. Got to Titan. And they got splintered away and was dumped in the middle of World War One. And Cole's like, can you help me out? Like, what? <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Um, and then, I mean, the thing that is to me the most crushing part of it is when Cole's like, we didn't come all the way back to 1922. And Jennifer's like, what, to rescue me? I know. And she's like, I thought I was part of a team. What do you need me to do? Scribble out a little more of my sanity. And it's just like. That's
2: one of the best lines ever.
0: Such a great line.
2: Yeah, there's there's so much good Cole-Jennifer dialogue in the the three kind of main chunks of scenes between those two. Mm -hmm. It's just fantastic. Yeah,
0: it mines so much of the history between those two characters. And when you go back and look at it and you're like, oh my God, like, Cole just pops into her life, sometimes decades apart, (laughs) right? Um, All of this crazy stuff happens to her, or then she gets thrust in the post-apocalypse, and then she's stuck for five years and they're like, it's not even a glad to see you. Oh, my God. We're so happy that like nothing. It's awful.
1: Yeah, because, you know, he's always making the point about how he ruined Cassie's life by coming in and like interrupting it and bringing her here and stuff. But like mm-hmm. no one ever feels sorry for Jennifer and what she's been through.
2: Oh, that's a really good point. B. It's a really good point.
0: I mean, her life sucked when he met her. She was locked up in an institution. I-, I mean, right? Like, he's basically the first friend she's ever had. But he- she's had a really, really hard road. Wh- whether trying to fight the army of the Twelve Monkeys on her own to disastrous results or everything, we just recapped in terms of when she got thrust into the future. Um, yeah. So I- it's just great conflict. And I think it's supposed to be really painful to watch. But uh, what I love about it is... I think we get to a new place at the end of the episode, right? Which is, to me, what makes it all worth it. I don't like to watch argument porn, like you've said, like on other shows, Jen. But I feel like this breaks – it airs things out, like a good fight, right? Like, they're airing things out. These are things that maybe she's been feeling that she's never said out loud.
2: So I think their their three dialogues follow a a beginning, a middle, and an end where there's an actual conclusion – that they come to, that moves them to the next phase of their relationship, it doesn't keep them stuck in the same place. And I think that's important that not all conversation needs to move you to a new plateau with somebody, but this was, I, th- I feel, a really important conversation to have because Jennifer's growing in ways that, that Team Splinter hasn't even seen yet, and Cole needs to recognize That she is a person with emotional needs that isn't always just this crazy, wacky person. That she has a desire to belong, a desire to be understood, and a desire to be loved and wanted. And he has to acknowledge that and say, you know, my bad. I was really deep in my own shit. And I really didn't treat you the way you deserve to be treated. And not certainly the way I feel about you. And then it moves them forward that, you know, they can shove that to the past, learn lessons about each other, and now they come to a new understanding. And I think it's really important to acknowledge the way that that whole series of conversations moved their stories forward in a way that felt really rewarding and really earned, given that at the beginning – I, I was ready just to to give up and cry, mm-hmm. and we get to the end, and, and in the middle, I was questioning Cole's sincerity because he basically got a reset, and I'm like, "But you had that conversation, you had the argument with her, and now you're trying to avoid it, maybe, or mm. are you being sincere?" And then the the last conversation, I was like, "Oh, the light goes on, and I see he is sincere. He realizes why he was feeling the way he was feeling." And it was because he's like I said, he was kind of knee deep in his own shit and his own his own pain, and he wasn't considering
0: anyone else's
2: pain mm-hmm. at that point
0: in time. Yeah, all right, we'll get we'll get to those scenes. It's funny that it landed that that's interesting. So, really quickly, I just want to cover what happens before we get the <laughs> Cole gets a, a redo, <laughs> um, and and Jennifer finally gets some applause for her amazing army of little monkeys play. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of really cool clues with, like, visually with the balloon, red balloon, um, and the woman in the parasol leading all up to the, this is my distraction dance. Um, I think it's really interesting that Jones kills Sebastian, and then in 308 she and Deacon will be the ones to ultimately actually kill him (laughs) with no redo. And he will recognize her and be like, Katerina Jones. And he hasn't seen her since this moment, right? Like other than maybe drawings, Ethan scratched out of her um, there's some really great like the way the music as we mentioned connects Cole in 1922 and this whole kind of like the weapons in the box and you're like what's in that box and you realize it's the baby in the box um, there's a lot of great setup when the when they're editing back and forth, jumping back and forth and the pallid man is setting up the witness will return um, in his litany um, and, and the witness will return in two different ways <laughs> um, in season finale Whether it's Olivia announcing um, or Ethan coming back to save them all. Um, And then we've got kind of um, Magdalena shooting Cole and you're like, what the hell, right? Because it doesn't seem survivable how many times he shot. And we hear a baby crying for the second time in the episode. And then we watch, she resets everything and we watch everything basically right. It's kind of, it reminds me of what they did in season two when the timeline got changed. Um, And we kind of watch everything get undone in front of us. Um, And then that,
2: which is, which is a a minor point, a minor quibble or point that I have is that Sebastian never would have met Jones. Or Remember that he met Jones.
0: Oh, that's right. So maybe he just knows her from Ethan and she would be on the word of the witness. That's a good point. No, yeah. or he does. Do they remember the yeah, time travelers? They, yeah, yeah. They do? Interesting. That's a good question. Wait, uh, uh, so, so, uh, so Cole
2: and Jones remember, right? Correct. And then I think Jennifer remembers cuz she's probably because of her primariness, mm-hmm. well cuz she's traveled too. Anybody with the injections remembers
0: what happens when time shifts?
2: Yeah, but do you need injections? Even if they're not involved in a particular Okay, never mind. Never mind. Okay. Yeah.
0: I yeah, either way, but it's kind of fun like we have 302 with Jones killing Sebastian and then we're going to poor guy's going to meet his end at the ends of a barrel of a gun with Deacon and Jones at the end. Um So that takes us time resets. We've got Jennifer finishing the play and then we've got Cole walking out and applauding her. I love this scene. So I think it was, I think it's interesting, Jen, that you were kind of questioning his sincerity.
2: Maybe. Look, I I was, I was so down on them at the beginning because of of the conflict and the conversation that they had and Jennifer just kind of leaving that I was like, and I just like, people are, are shitty. So if they got a chance to do something over in order to smooth uh rough waters with somebody yeah. would they do that if they had the opportunity to do so but then now that we bring up the point that everybody remembers that that conversation occurred the question of sincerity and just knowing cole as a character i i, I do think he was sincere but i think he 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 did need to explain himself to jennifer Back in, in, in 2044 mm-hmm. at Raritan. Yeah. A- and also that that conversation benefited me as the audience member mm-hmm. far more than it did the characters. Because I needed some comfort, dude. Yeah.
0: I <laughs> I think it's interesting because it is one of those things that only a time travel show can do, right? Is to give you a redo. Like, he fucked up with his friend. He didn't say what she wanted to hear. He didn't say what he should have said when he first saw her. So now he gets the chance to do it again, and I think, Je- I mean, obviously, Jennifer obviously, you know, when she says "much better," uh, she took it as sincere. I actually love that scene a lot.
2: Oh, absolutely! <laughs> no, yeah, they, yeah, I did, I did too. And then that, 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 that reminds me, guys, that yeah, she does remember what had occurred before even though the timeline had been reset and that makes it
1: much more sincere because he's not just going back and being like oh fuck i'm just gonna do this again like yeah i don't want it to play out the way it did before i'm just gonna say something different it's like okay we've all literally been given a redo it's not that it's just been undone for me like let's make this what it should have been
0: yeah and he heard her Right. Yeah. So like before in their argument, he doesn't go after her. He doesn't say what we had wanted him to say, but he heard her. And I think that's like, you know, that's why we're invested in these friendships. <laughs> you know, like if he was, an, if he kind of like took and took and took all the time, I don't think we would care as much when we get to that final scene. And it's the two of them on the beach, right. in the coda, right. Like these are all the steps that get to why those moments mean so much in the end. Yeah, it's just
2: it, every little every little thing is just a, a deposit in the bank mm. of of rewards that you're going to get at the end, like. They've earned it because they've deposited money in these relationships through these conversations and these
0: scenes. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Oh, thank you. Um, all right. So Jennifer, as much as Adler, <laughs> is not happy to see her. <laughs> Jennifer is back in 2044. Highest, scientists! <laughs> she's the best dude and she best. is so the best
2: being And adler he gets
0: all the best lines dear god she's back <laughs> <laughs> so great like,
1: how could you not want to play jennifer like if you just had a choice you know of like any character how could you not want to play jennifer
2: if you didn't have the if you didn't have the skill yeah, I, yeah, yeah yeah but i mean high degree of difficulty like, very high degree of difficulty because she has to be good at drama and good at comedy Mm -hmm. and a lot of people are like a lot of actors say that drama is not as nowhere near as difficult as as comedy so we're we're blessed to have somebody with with emily's abilities to do that she's so good i mean
1: emily is jennifer no
2: question and i'm
1: not even talking (laughs) about like like, ability. I'm just saying, if someone said, you could play anyone
0: on this show, I'd be like, Jennifer! <laughs> like, right, right, everyone else. So everyone's fun. Everyone else is like, it's one versus seven billion. And Jennifer's like, hiya, scientists!
1: we <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> 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 freaking
1: tortoises in a room. I mean, hello.
0: Oh, my God. All right, so, really quickly, the one, um fun thing before we get to the Cole and final Cole and Jennifer scene. Um, when, when they're all around the table wondering why the guardian, why would, why would you have this child be so garden? Um, there's some interesting editing and I take it. Actually, there's two layers to it. I think that are fun and rewatch. You've got Jones talking about, it's a child, a weapon, The camera keeps going back. Cole is very prominently figured in the back, right? And at first first rewatch, if you're rewatching season three at the end, you'd be like, oh, well, that's because he's the father of the child, right? And he doesn't know it yet, right? And so we know that. And so it's framing it for the dramatic. But I think it's really interesting that they keep talking about a weapon. And, like, Cole is their weapon, at the end like to fix all of it so it's kind of fun like editing back and forth jones says jennifer is both an asset and a danger and she absolutely as we know is like unbelievably important to like basically everything but she also can present a danger like when she drinks the tea in season four and legacy right and olivia um like, figures out where they are and is able to send Deacon and everybody after them. So I thought that was kind of interesting, like, absolutely more asset than danger. But there is there is a little bit of a danger there. And she for sure is going to be on the other side of things as Jones, because she's going to side with Cassie and Cole (laughs) later on this season. So Jones leaves it up to Cole what to do with Jennifer. And what I love is that he has learned a hard-earned kind of leadership lesson And he decides to leave it up to Jennifer. So that takes us to Jennifer touching the time stream. And at first she looks crazy, right? (laughs) Like when her hand... Yeah, she's just... She's
2: just playing in a beam of light because it it <laughs> captured her attention,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, that's what it looks like. And then they take it to something that looks crazy and they end up, I don't know if it's cause it's the music, but eventually they're gonna give me chills when she's doing the same thing, right? But we don't understand why she's doing it until she explains it, so. Jen, this goes to what you were saying about Cole kind of opening up to Jennifer, and he voices something that I think is really interesting, and we didn't get a chance, I meant to ask this on our 213 pod when Terry Metallus was on, but I always thought it was, I I absolutely understand why for plot reasons, they put that decision solely on Cole to erase the timeline and not tell Cassie. But it is a big, like, violation of the, of her agency. Do you know what I mean? Like, think about if you were essentially living as husband and wife, and you're pregnant as the woman, and you, your husband finds out that, like, the world is going to end unless you undo it, and he doesn't tell you. hmm Right? And they're going to have this cold castle. You're going to have this conversation in the heist episode when they're hiding in the trunk of the car. <laughs> um.
1: But it's, you know, as you do.
0: As you do. Yes. As one does. As one does when you talk about like big moments in your, you know, TV marriage, not marriage. Um, but like it, I'm, I, I like, I'm really glad that he voiced that. Right. And it's something he's obviously been carrying with him. And Jen, this goes to your point. Right. Like Cole has been deep in his own shit, understandably. Right. And he's now talking to his friend and saying, I made a decision for somebody else. That was a mistake. And I don't. I don't want to do that with you. So you have the choice. And then it's like the most amazing, like bear hug, like be a part of the team. And she's so happy. Right. And it's like, it's all she wanted. All she wanted. But it's also her choice. You know, like he's, she's, he's always like, we need this. We need that. And then he was basically like, if you want, you can go back. And if you want to stay, it's up to you.
2: I like yeah, that and what she said this relationship
1: lesson, though, in in the bigger context of, like, he doesn't just go forward and, like, uh, reapply it to Cassie next time. It's like, oh, no, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I need to allow people to be people and make their own decisions. And, like, we deal with it then. I don't just, like, unilaterally make decisions for everyone.
0: hmm Yeah. It's a great – it's – I – I love their friendship a lot, and I love this scene because it's you know it's the kind of closure and moving on and you feel like okay, people learn something here right and you're right Cole he learned something from what he did in two thirteen and he has sat with that guilt and then he learned something when Jennifer was like voicing how she felt and he does it he 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 does it differently right like it's not just the redo where he says. Uh, you know, we're here to take you home. He actually applies it practically to a member of his team.
1: Yeah, in the, yeah, he in doesn't a step forward. Not in something mm-hmm. they're just like rehashing,
0: right?
2: Yeah, exactly. He doesn't keep pressing the same button and expecting different results just because that's a quote unquote personality trait. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what you call growth, if I may quote insecure on HBO. <laughs> I would say.
0: So uh, he's like, You were never forgotten. Hannah's been feeding your tortoise Terry. <laughs> So cute. Oh, I love it. So cute. And then we get a really like, and I, we've talked before how the music is always fantastic, but the music I think in particular is kind of next level when Stephen Barton takes over because the music, when she's like, I know how you're going to find her. And Coles comes back and she's like, Can you feel it? Cassie, she's in there. Everyone is in there. And then we cut away to see Cassie, you know? like a hundred over a hundred years away from them and jennifer says i mean there's two layers to it right like that that machine is going to bring cassie home in two episodes like they're going to be there in that very room and that machine's going to bring her back into that chair but when jennifer says as long as we have this we'll never be alone it's really kind of beautiful when you think about it that even when that machine is gone they're still going to remember one another
2: yeah. yeah.
0: just have a lot of feels about it, guys. There's a lot of feels. <laughs> um, And then we've got the end. Ramsey shows up with Olivia. Dun, dun, dun. And her hair is super messed up and Jen wants to flail about it.
2: <laughs> oh, it's just like, oh, I don't... Look, look. Every... There's just things that chip away at my heterosexuality. <laughs> and this scene... <laughs> This scene was one of them. I'm just like he takes off the 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 um the the sack on her head, and her hair is just perfectly mussed up. And I'm like, God damn it, mm-hmm. stupid sexy Olivia! Why do you got to do this to me? She does.
0: I felt feelings. She does reach. I'm also a heterosexual woman, and Olivia reached like a new level of like, huh? She's pretty hot, man. <laughs> In the next episode, like <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> It is a lot. She moves so. she moves like a cat. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have we're going to have Joe on next time and she's going to talk a lot about that.
2: <laughs> well, it's just it's just though I mean she's always so well put together and the hair there's never a hair out of place. Mm-hmm. And this was like, you know, her is this a sex hair situation like part uh, maybe, I don't know, but I'm just like you should you should go with this look more often. Put a like little surf putty in
0: there maybe. <laughs> Not everything has to be perfect there, Olivia. Let's work with this a little bit. I think I think it made you feel like maybe she was vulnerable. <laughs> like maybe
2: I don't know what it is about burlap saps being taken o- or sacks being taken off people's heads that just like make them exponentially more sexy. That's super fucked up. But it's just like it's super fucked up. I mean, it's oh my god. Off. She didn't say it was when you put them on. <laughs> oh my god we, I, are we are we finding out stuff about me right no, now i think so This is like, a ther- this is like a
0: weird therapy G- set, G- so. gentle a lot of people a lot of people are finding stuff out about you right now <laughs> oh,
2: No, <laughs> that's okay i'm past the point of really caring <laughs> about any of it anymore <laughs> Whatever is whatever.
0: Right. It's our four days, man. Zero fucks to give.
2: <laughs> Look, n- nothing is binary anymore for anybody.
0: <laughs> Beep, what were you about to say something? Oh, I don't-
2: Beep, did you have feelings? I don't know if
1: I missed it. Um, I My question was, I saw you earlier ask Jen about like the um, holes in the box.
0: Uh, did you oh. actually talk about that? No, we didn't cover no. whether- okay, cause I How does the baby didn't... breathe? Yeah. Are there air
1: holes? Well, I don't know, but I saw your notes on the thing a long time ago, and I just wanted to be clear that as high tech as that thing looks, I feel like it's climate controlled. (laughs) Like, I think it has, like, its own
0: central air system. Like the oxygen supply? It's (laughs) its own thing? Because the idea is it's protecting the baby... And I'm, I feel like I'm saying this because I'm in the middle of watching Chernobyl. It's protecting the baby. Oh, from, my God. It's protecting the baby from the radiation, <laughs> from the splintering, right? Like, that's why it's so – to protect a baby from, like, right? It's radiation. It's – right? It's a core. It's powering it. Is it so
2: Or is it just, like, to look cool? Wow. <laughs> like, the, like the Ark of the Covenant not,
0: or – Oh, it does or, look like the Ark of the Covenant.
2: Or, or, or Kal-El's um, – ship that brought him to
0: earth it looks like both those things good call jen um i'm not saying i'm just saying yeah (laughs) all right john so fun thank you for doing we always have so much fun when you're on I have so much fun to come here and
2: pinch hit and, and just hit weak little dribblers off up the first baseline for you guys and you're just like, Oh my god. Can we get somebody with some intellect on the show next?
0: Oh time? my god, that is such bullshit. We already had this <laughs> thing on Twitter where I basically had to be like Cole and be like, We need you, Jen. <laughs> you only want me for my
2: insanity.
0: Um, Really quickly, um, since the TV landscape has been dark of late, what are you watching that you love?
2: Well, Cece, let me answer that question (laughs) with a a question. Don't
0: you dare! (laughs) Waffles or pancakes? Don't you dare! Oh, you're a monster! (laughs) You better explain that. (laughs) Okay,
2: so... uh, I'm referring to a little show on Freeform called Cloak and Dagger, which is set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, it takes place uh, in New Orleans, which is kind of considered like another character in the show, if, if, if I'm being honest Absolutely. with you. Um, and the Marvel the Marvel Entertainment Twitter account agreed with me and retweeted me to over if, to its bazillion followers. <laughs> My little moment of fame, everybody, watch out! Um, but it's about two teenagers who basically uh, who through a freak accident develop powers, complementary powers, as it were. Uh, Tandy Bowen and Tyrone Johnson, uh, the the titular cloak and dagger, and Basically, if you know anything about Cece, you know she loves characters and she, you know, she loves emotions and emotional touch points be- between people. To call *Cloak and Dagger* her catnip <laughs> is seriously <laughs> underselling it. Like, <laughs> it's so much fun to watch her and, by extension, Mister Cece flail <laughs> about how much they love this show and how much they love Tyrone and Tandy. Oh
0: my God! He kept pausing it and be like, "See." That's good writing. It was like <laughs> Game of Thrones therapy <laughs> like every 10 minutes. like see, that's why we care. That's good writing. It's really, really good guys. And I will be honest with you. I've always loved, I've always loved superhero films and all of it. I will admit that I was reaching a point when it comes to TV superhero shows, not films um tv superhero shows i had reached kind of a point of exhaustion with them Mm -hmm. um for a lot of reasons like i feel like as soon as they kind of move away from the origin story super character driven stuff and it becomes like the villain that you know is going to go down by the season finale type of stuff i get kind of bored this is two seasons of super Character driven, even the villains are super character driven. Um, we really, really enjoyed it. So, if you're looking for something, you should definitely check it out. And, really, really, really creative writing, and they need the ratings. So, yeah, I saw yeah. Uh,
2: it's Poken on agger
1: as a show. When I'm like, okay, you might be tired of superhero shows, that's okay because this is not a show about superheroes who have to like happen to be people, this is a show about people. Who happen to have powers? Absolutely, but it's all yeah. about them navigating the world, like in you know, in spite of those. things. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, and, and them
1: with those things, and having it's about to, like, make it all work.
0: Uh, uh, yeah, it's about to- it's about trauma and race, and I mean it. You know, it digs into some things that are some pretty. It's doing some pretty heavy lifting and some. You know, complex topics and it's pretty yeah, great. It,
1: yeah, if you know does, anything about New Orleans, you know that there are is, you know, no shortage of
2: of issues.
0: Right. You still yeah. live there, be right? So I yeah. Did. Yeah. Um, but uh, the I,
2: I think that the, the best the best thing about the show is if you're a fan of Twelve Monkeys, you're most likely a fan of the great character work, the relationships and the writing that goes into creating these really great people that we get to invest in. And Cloak and Dagger does the same thing. The The writer of the show that I mean, I'm sorry, the showrunner of the show is very aware of needing to get different voices in the writer's room and needing to and, and really honoring the the characters. The best thing about the show is that Tyrone and Tandy are each other's biggest cheerleaders. Even when they have a difference of opinion or in conflict with each other, you know that there is a glue that holds these two characters together and it keeps getting stronger and stronger to the point where there are just some scenes and some creative choices that they make that you're like... I didn't know I needed this, but oh my god, this is the best! This is the best thing ever. And you'll you'll make weird noises during certain <laughs> scenes where you're just like, "I'm not much of a shipper, guys." I think we all know that I'm pretty like I don't really care for romance at all. But there's a I ship Tyrone and Tandy hard. The show scenes, turned
0: you into a shipper, Jet. I love
2: there, it. There's there are scenes in this show where nothing romantic happens, but. I just squeal in delight because I'm just like, this is a love story. Yeah, man. And we're watching it unfold. So it's great, guys. I think uh I think it's up on Hulu for watch. Yes. Yep. Um and if if you know if you have an old if you're one of them them old people like me and still have cable, uh it they're probably up on the Freeform app as well. Yeah.
0: And I mean speaking of Hulu also, um, if you have friends that haven't watched Twelve Monkeys, all four seasons of Twelve Monkeys is gonna be on Hulu. On June 15th. So. Yeah. So what? They're adding the the fourth season. Yeah. The fourth season. So finally in one place on streaming, you'll be able to watch all four seasons. So tell. In
1: the United States. In the U.S.
0: Yeah. In the U.S. Otherwise,
1: I don't know. I don't
2: think, never mind, yes.
1: Yeah,
0: so in the U.S., you know, it's a perfect time to tell your friends to watch. Um, And if you're not in the U.S., sorry. uh, Just splinter. uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right, so next up, we have Enemy. Um, We're going to be doing this as kind of a two-parter, um... Only because um, because of scheduling, um, Allison Down and Terry Metalis are going to be joining us at sort of at the end of the month. So in the meantime, what we're going to do is do a mini pod about mainly the Deacon scenes, because it's the incredible kind of like one man show Deacon and Deacon's father as an apparition in um, the jail scenes that kind of focus on, The Hannah and Jones and Ramsey and Deacon aspects of the episode on just kind of a mini soap just to give you guys something to chew on in between waiting for when Allison down and Terry Metalis will join us to break down all things Olivia um, jumping off from 303 Enemy. Um, and we're. I think we're, we're going to be joined by Joe from Maybe Geek again for that mini-sode. And I think some other folks are going to, some other deacon lovers are going to be contributing some content as well.
2: And there are so many of them. Bless, bless, bless all deacon lovers. So, yeah, yeah God absolutely. Bless
0: us, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know, I feel like you guys have like radicalized me as late. <laughs> I'm, are you are you turning into a Deacon lover? I've always loved Deacon. I just I, I feel like I have become more. Yeah, like I'm still Cole's still my number one, but I mean Deacon. You know, I see his merits. <laughs> Deacon can get it. Yeah, yeah he
1: can.
0: And <laughs> yeah, you can. Anyone who has sarcasm in a Han Solo jacket, like I'm Gen X, I'm wired for that shit. So exactly, exactly. That's fucking catnip to us Gen so X. Exactly. We
1: are just nature. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you guys have anything else,
1: then we'll see you soon.